I met him 15 years ago. I, I was told there was nothing left. No reason, no uh, conscience, no understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture show broadcasting from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and we're back with our second entry into One Good Scare, the chronological exploration of the Halloween franchise, and I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and we're talking about Halloween 2, and of course, if I'm talking about Halloween, there's only going to be one guest with me, and that's Mr. Mike Wilson. How are you doing, Mike? I like this app. Uh, I, I like this thing. Sure you this do. This is so much fun. This is how easily amused I am. I just found a, a bike horn app, and I'm just going to sit here and enjoy it. What are you looking at? Not much. Come on now. <laughs> everybody loves a good horn. Yeah, everybody loves... You, I, I think you mean to say everybody loves to get honked. Yes. Yeah. This is going nowhere. Already. Yeah, so... <laughs> like our uh, lives, it's going nowhere. Speak for yourself. Say like I, I I think I have a little more optimistic optimism for my future. Anyway, uh, as you can tell from the title, we'll talk about Halloween too. Let's jump into our review of it right now. Now, you mentioned on the first episode that the original Halloween had a massive impact on your life. What about the sequel? When did you finally get around to seeing that? Um, exactly when is a good question, because I know the year after I saw Halloween 2, Halloween H2O came out. Um, I remember always going to – I think I said in the last one, I remember always going to the video store. Just weekly, go to Blockbuster Video back in the day and rent things. Before everything was digital. Videotape. That's what we used to have. It yeah, wasn't actual I, tape. You couldn't actually tape anything up with it. I didn't use it as a rep presence or anything. Maybe with the bad movies, but that's only if I was giving a gift for the person I hated. You see, like, it was like a joke like that was like you, you could have used the bike horn for. Yeah, but now it's the, the phone is over there. <laughs> Whose fault is that? The table for being so long? Shut up. Gotta keep going. <laughs> but anyway, go go to Blockbuster Video all the time. And after Halloween was ingrained in my brain and completely destroying my life, making me scared of everything, even my own shadow, I would just go in the video store. And after I was done looking for what I wanted to, and, you know, my mom, stepdad, whoever was checking out, I would just run over the horror section, which wasn't too far away from the register. And i just always go straight for ha Halloween, the videotapes. I saw Halloween 2 sitting there and all the sequels. I'd look at, you know, the old box art, the back stills. The descriptions, and a lot of times on those stills, they'd have alternate shots or publicity shots or set 
photos, you know, nothing professional, just someone on set with a camera or whatever. Halloween 2, I remember looking at the back of the box, and that VHS copy I used to see, there was no real clear shot of Michael Myers. There was one of the, like, him silhouetted in black walking down the hospital hallway, but nothing clearly of him. The cover was that that uh, pumpkin with the skull superimposed on the front, the, the typical one you see on the posters. And on the back, there was uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and Donald Pleasance during their escape. And for a minute there, because I, when I was a kid, I was someone I'd look at pictures first, read something later. And I used to think Halloween 2 wasn't a Michael Myers story either. I just thought, like, these, these Loomis and Laurie, they can't help but they can't catch a break. They keep getting caught by some killer on Halloween. And there's actually no – they actually don't use – on that VHS copy, they did not use the actual words Michael Myers. It was just the killer. Really? Yeah. That's strange. I, there's been many releases of it over the years. That's just the one I saw, you know. So that's what led me to believe because I, I was looking at things a little too visually. But as we know, with Halloween, visuals were very important. So maybe that was just something psychologically in my subconscious. I'm looking for Michael Myers. I don't see him. So does that mean he's not there? Huh. That's kind of the thought process I had. Eventually, though, like, you know, as I started wanting to watch more of these, you know, my step-siblings did say, oh, yeah, I saw it. He's in there. So I remember renting it, and it did not have anywhere near the impact that Halloween 1 did upon watching it. Um, as we will talk about, uh, Carpenter, he, 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 him and Deborah Hill really saw the original Halloween as a standalone movie. It, oh God, sorry. I almost knocked the table over. Oh boy. After the runaway, you know, smash hit success box office blockbuster on <laughs> the government. No, after the huge hit that it was, we had to, it created a genre basically. And we had a millions of imitators, right? Uh, by 1981, though, the, the time was right, I guess. There were people in production that wanted... The time is now! The ti- their time was up. The time was now. So they cast John, get- C- they cast John Cena as Michael Myers. And his Myers, name was John Cena! But he was six years old. <laughs> burp, 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 burp. Yeah, he was given F5s to uh, uh, the nurses of Hadfield Memorial. That's how we killed everybody with F5s. <laughs> And, and STFs, because, and they got so bored that their bodies just literally shut down and died because he doesn't lock the actual chin hold and bend them backwards. He just sort of, like, covers their face, crosses his arms in front of them. Um, ah, make, your, your keys are digging like, into like, the side. Like, well, that's a joke I always make every time we watch it. It's just like, did he leave, like, his keys in his pocket and they're yeah. just, like, currently pressed on their sciatic nerve? <laughs> that's why they're in pain because he's not, like, bending them back. Anyway, this is all horseshit. Anyways... This is a hell of a start. <laughs> Anyways, you know, the, t- the time was right for another Halloween. Carpenter and Deborah Hill, they didn't really want to make another one. They went along with it because, you know, this time th- this time there was actually going to be some money into it. Uh, unfortunately, Compass International Pictures in 1981, that was the year they went out of business. Um, I believe Hell-, hell Night, which I just got the Shout Factory Blu-ray of, was the last picture by the, by Compass and by Irwin, produced by Erwin Yablons. I may be wrong. I believe that was the last one under under that banner. Um, Compass was picked up by Universal, which eventually became Trancus Entertainment, and the rights to Halloween was bought by De Laurentiis Company under Universal, distributed by Universal. That's my question: was like, how did De Laurentiis get involved with this movie specifically? I think it was because Hollow. I think it was because uh, Compass was was going under. Um, Halloween was up for grabs. They wanted to make another one anyway, so De Laurentiis got a hold of it and partnered with Universal, who 
bought Compass, and because I believe Trancus is a subsidiary of Universal. Oh, okay. I think that, I, and I also think that that's part of why we could look into it further, folks. You know, if you if you know any elaborate further, this is just speculation from the information I've had the chance to look up in the past hour because I, I'm more off the cuff than Tim. But I think that's also why the box set was able to work. Oh, okay. Part of why I believe that you know Trancus, who does still own Halloween and who. Produced, you know, all the rest of them after number two. I believe, yeah, number two was directly De Laurentiis under Universal. Oh, okay. So that was the only one outside the Compass Trancus banner to be produced. Gotcha. So anyway, you know, Carpenter, he still had an, and Deborah Hill, they still had an ownership into it, which they would later sell. More on that in the Halloween 4 podcast. And I guess they figured, you know, we're going to make some money on it this time. Because Carpenter has said since since day one that he, there, he feels that there was money he did not make on the original Halloween based on its budget-to-profit ratio, that there are profits he never saw. Well, I, I, I kind of thought if he kind of signed away his part of his salary. He, I'm sure he did get sal- he did get a salary for it to make it, but I definitely felt like part of that was kind of the agreement to get the movie made how he wanted to was they would... And his name above the title, that might have been the trade. We'll never know until we see the contracts. Right. Folks. And it's been 40 years... Uh, Mustafa Akkad is sadly not with us anymore, so he can't press his side of the story. Right. But that was also a reason of contention for them, a bit of a falling out, and why Carpenter didn't come back for Halloween H2O, which we will also get to in the H2O pot. He wanted a huge salary based yeah. on profits he never saw. So he, according to what I have read, Carpenter agreed to do it more to make up the money he didn't get. This time, though, because you know we're going into the sequel of the movie that, that, that invented the slasher genre – we now have a $2.5 million budget as opposed to 325000 Truthfully, I feel that the budget, it shows obviously in the things that they were able to blow up in this movie. Literally. Yeah, literally. But I don't really see where it comes into place too much, but I'm sure it is there. I'm sure they spent it very cautiously and wisely because there is a conscious effort in there to make it feel like a direct continuation of Halloween 1. Right. You know what I mean? And uh, Rick uh, Rosenthal was chosen as, inevitably chosen, because Tommy Lee Wallace, originally Carpenter, wanted to come back and direct. He, he didn't want to have a, he didn't want to. He, uh, according to the Halloween 25 Years of Terror documentary, Tommy Lee Wallace felt that he couldn't just get, be- get behind the idea enough. No. So, he chose Rick Rosenthal. Based on a short film, I think. Yes, a short film that impressed the impressed the hell out of him. And Rosenthal, I feel, was really the one that made the biggest effort, because he said it in interviews, to keep the style of Halloween 1 going, that it transitions truly from one to the other. And that is totally there. Yes. Whether it's totally there, $2.5 million worth, whatever, they'll make it work, you know? You could rent out more. They have ambulances all over the place, you know? There's a few crane shots in this movie, there's, for sure. Yeah, there's, uh, aren't there like a few crane shots? Yeah. And I feel kind of like when, when we're talking about the original, I mean, the uh, new Halloween coming out, how they talk about how, oh, it's going to be made on a smaller budget. Oh, Carpenter's Because Blumhouse always does things on the, on, on the smaller but budget. But at the same time, too, they advertised it as if, like, that was a factor that made Halloween great. I don't necessarily think that's the case. But, like, the most, I think, expensive one was made, I mean, I could be wrong, is that, like, the, the two Rob Zombie ones were made for about $15 million each. That might be the most expensive one. I don't know how much Resurrection was made for. Well, that was also under Miramax, who's yeah. a fucking con- well, not anymore, a fucking conglomerate. Yeah. <laughs> well, they they kicked out they kicked out that guy. Yeah. Not Rob Zombie. No. Uh, Big Harv. Yeah, the guy who can't keep his hands. Old anyway, Big Harv. 
So, but I feel like, but Blumhouse always is kind of champions that fact because like I think the most expensive movie they made, I think it might have been might have been Get Out or the Purge movies, and they've always done things on the cheap. I mean, that's why their profit to budget ratio has always been so high. Well, let me ask you too, as a director, if you know you can make something for a cheap amount, and someone says, "Okay, here's a ton more," will you say no? You'll find a way to incorporate it, won't you? Unless it require, unless it, it's I'm giving up something in return. Let's say you're not. But no, like if you give me that, like then like. Because the thing is, Carpenter. No, I, I don't think so, because there's the more money you put in, it, there's more of an inherent risk of not making as much. True, and here's the thing: when it comes to things giving up, Carpenter didn't walk into Halloween two really wanting a hell of a lot. He just wanted to write it and produce it. He didn't want to direct it. That's no. why he handed it off. Uh, if he really wanted to write it, it probably would have been made sooner. Yeah, no, I mean, like, we'll get into his writing process of, like, how this movie came about. Yeah, like, there wasn't there wasn't a hell of a lot of enthusiasm on Carpenter. And he's admitted that all the time over the years. He's, yes. He, his famous line, the one thing that got him through this writing of the script was a six-pack of Budweiser every night. Yeah. So he felt he was making the same movie again. Right. Now, as, as down as we're talking about this movie, I feel that Halloween 2 is almost essential to the continuation of Halloween 1 because, and I, we've talked about this a million times, if you have a story where you have this unstoppable boogeyman killer, this force of nature, you really think shooting him out the window is going to stop him? No. I feel I, I feel him, you know, shooting him out the window and then he disappears. Is it over? I think it's, I think it's the point of that is because I feel like at that point he's become, he's become evil incarnate in, in essence form like it doesn't need to be in physical form like he, he, he could be anywhere he could and he could do anything and your mind can create something a lot more scary than whatever the filmmakers choose to do that's why that's why like certain things with imagine like leading stuff up to imagination. that's why hp lovecraft was so successful is because he would just he would describe things that is like it's imaginable and is is and frightening and is it is it will drive men crazy and that's why so much of his stuff is relied on imagination of the reader filling in the blanks themselves so the end of the halloween could be like you can fill in your own blanks of like what could happen afterwards sure it's nice to get a a sequel and everything and because this is such a baton handoff like most recently like rogue one to new hope is kind of like a baton handoff in between the two movies you kind of like as a halloween fan i think it's kind of almost required to watch this like you were saying because you want to see how the story is going to continue well i know that like yes we know michael is the embodiment of everything but if they're making a conscious effort to show him, because that's a whole that's the whole thing about the whole the shape Michael Myers thing. Where I I, I used to I remember what, before I heard the term the shape, mm-hmm. like like he was Michael. And I heard for the first time. I remember reading like a synopsis of like the Halloween movies on like the internet in like two thousand two thousand one, and they were constantly referring to him as the shape. This is before I knew that term. I'm thinking, what the fuck is this shape shit? Is that like I thought it was some like it was a giant rhombus coming to kill people. It was the wisdom cube from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. He kills them with his bad stories. I thought that like the shape was just some like descriptive term that's used in like some descriptive term buzzword that's used in Hollywood to describe like your killer of your movie. Like he's the the, the shape. You know? Right. I did not know that that was like something that they put in there. We know he's a force, but the thing is, he's this force in the vessel. Of a human. Yeah. That's what makes it so relatable and scary. Like, like there are fucked up people out there that are inhuman. Mm. That's why I feel like shooting him out the window and then he disappears and what? He becomes Mufasa in The Lion King? We see him up in the clouds? Yes, I just, haunt you that. Just like staring that. at you up in the clouds? Simba. 
kill for me, Simba. That's why I feel like you need another part. I feel like I I, I feel like the ending of Halloween one is almost a re- like that respite you get before the shit starts again, like the eye of the storm. But Carpenter is always like that. Carpenter always leaves you in a cliffhanger. I was pointing out I, to this, like, I mean, like this Christine, the thing, um, Big Trouble in Little China, Prince of Darkness. Um, in the Mouth of Madness, all of his horror movies end on cliffhangers wanting you more. And as the sequels go on and as the story's kind of changed and kind of like you could argue been beaten into the ground, would you rather be ha- wanting more versus you've gotten so much that you kind of become spoiled and bored with whatever product you're dealing with? Well, we will get into that as we go on too. I mean, like we were just talking about a video game, a sequel that came out that people like wanted a sequel and they were not happy with it. Dead Space Three, I think we were talking about. Yeah, wasn't it? yeah. And then like you were, and there was something like that, like the oh no, it was the video game, like music and the Secret of Mana remake, which yeah. just came out uh, the, two two days ago at the time of this recording. Right. That people are pissing and moaning about. Right, and people have been probably clamoring for that for years, and yet. Oh, reaction videos online when they showed the first trailer and they saw what the what the visual style is going to be were hilarious. Right. I mean, These people like ready drawn to tears like they're watching a Star Wars trailer. Then, what the fuck? <laughs> and so, I mean, it's the question: like, do you rather burn out or fade away? Burn out, man. <laughs> well, but with the and we will get into this as we continue on, like yeah. each ongoing chapter of the and why versus like other slasher uh, series. Yeah. With the Halloween series, if you're telling the story of this invincible indestructible killer that's a force of nature and very much a legend, I feel like you can support things like ongoing chapters in that story. Yes. Which is why I wish Halloween H2O was where they ended it, where it comes full circle and his original victim is fine. Spoiler alert before we get to the H2O podcast. Yeah. His original victim finally finishes, you know, the job. She finally stops running. Like all these people have been killed. Even you could say it's here and say it's a C-boot, sequel, reboot, whatever. We'll talk about – once again, we'll talk about that when we get there as yeah. well. But I feel that a concept like this supports an ongoing thing like it's because they present Michael Myers as a force that will never stop in the vessel of a human. That's why I feel like giving us a part two where you sh- – where like his rampage is not over. He won't be stopped. You think you're safe, but he will find you. Mm-hmm. And how it ends, which we will also – we'll get to in this podcast. Right. That's why I, I feel Halloween. You need a Halloween too. That's why, at least for me, I need Halloween too. Yeah, and um, I first encountered Halloween two. It might have been on TV first before I actually rented it from the library and experienced it on Sunday. Because I think it might have been like when AMC used to do. Well, they still probably do horror marathons, especially around Halloween. They'll run all the Halloweens back to back to back. They didn't do all of them this year. Really? They they did like cherry picked them. They were weird about it, but I remember that. There was a time, like 15 years, for like a good five-year period, starting like maybe 15, 16, 17 years ago, for a good couple of years, they did all of them in sequence. Yeah, and that's how I first experienced most of them after the first movie, was watching them on TV and seeing the editors and TV editions of these movies, which we'll get into as we go further. And I remember seeing it, and I was like, oh, okay, that's Halloween too." I was not blown away like it is I mean, like because i mean it's no empire strikes back it's no dark knight it's, it's so like we're not gonna make any bones about that we still enjoy it and we'll get into our reasons why we enjoy it and things that kind of leave us a little irksome at the but um 
And so as the movie opens up, we have the f- first new rule or, uh, or kind of inclusion of something that becomes a kind of staple for this series going forward is the inclusion of Mr. Sandman. And, and we can tell that this movie already has a bigger budget because it opens up on a crane shot of... With the, licensed music. Yeah, <laughs> of the um, Doyle residence as the end of Halloween 1 yep, playing we get, out. we get a quick recap of the ending. A couple new music cues, some sound effects changes, specifically like Loomis's gun is a different sound effect now. Yeah. And he shoots him seven times. He's got the world's only seven-shot revolver. And Michael falls in the front yard going backing up a ramp and landing on the front yard. On yeah, he falls yard. out the front yard balcony onto grass instead of out the backyard balcony onto dirt, dirt next yeah. to a tree. Yeah. Little changes, but that's okay. And, so, and, and then Loomis runs downstairs and he ages three years. Yeah, but you get used to it as the movie goes on. No, yeah, I mean... It's so, just that jarring shift between footage from the first one and the second one. His beard is a little grayer. There's a few more lines on his face. But it's, it's not like he goes from, like, Halloween, you know, 1 to fucking Halloween 4 or Halloween 6. Yeah, no, It's it, not drastic, but you could tell he's a, he's a little bit older. Right, and, like, I feel like the jacket was yellow in the first movie, and it's, like, gray in this. I don't know if it's, yeah, like... It's, it's about the same time. Okay. And so, and then we have, like, he goes out and expects the um, lawn where Michael was. We see that he was hit and that he is bleeding. Um, a neighbor comes out and investigates the gunshots that he heard. The famous line, you don't know, he asks him, I've been trick or treated to death tonight. You don't know what death is. And then we have the new recording of the Halloween theme. Your feelings on this keyboard version of the theme. At first, I absolutely fucking loathed it. Really? I did not, it invoked no scariness in me. I, I thought it was goofy. Dum, 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 dum. I thought it sounded like... Scooby-Dum? It was the dum, sound dum, of dum, like dum, a very dum. large drop of water that they just recorded over and over again at different... Sorry. A very large and thick drop, like a plunk. Yeah. plunk of water instead of a drip <laughs> of water. But it meant to... It, like, like with the 80s and new wave coming into form, synthesized instruments were becoming bigger and bigger. Carpenter would eventually adapt that almost entirely as his musical style. Yeah. But it also is overlaid with, instead of having, like, synth strings in the first one behind a piano, you had synth organs more than strings. Right. So it, it had a much more, like, gothic feel to it. Like, synth, synth, synth goth, but, like, classic goth, not, like, fucking club goth. It's it's very odd to explain. As I as I, I whip the hair out of my eyes and light a cigarette on school grounds, kind of goth. But it it, it definitely does work. It def- especially when you hear it on like a good sound system or in a movie theater, like we had the pleasure of doing a year and a half ago for the uh, the fine folks at RetroPictureShow.com who had a uh, in October 2016. They had a showing of four classic horror sequels. Halloween Two was one of them on original 35 millimeter, and it was the possibly the best looking one out of them all. I'd say it definitely was. It, it, the Dream Wars was really close. Dream though. Wars was really good. I, Texas 2 was awesome, too. Texas yeah. Because we saw Friday the 13th Part 4, Halloween 2, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Right. I mean, I guess the... You bailed before Texas 2. Yeah, I know, because like, I, 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 I had to be up early or something like that. Um, but I guess Friday uh, 4's uh, print was like a dead fuck, if you, if you were going to just try and describe it or anything like that. Where's the joke? <laughs> uh, I thought I was the joke. I mean, as things go, I thought I was the one that's like just really sad and everything. <laughs> There's jokes in this one, folks. 
Oh, man. Anywho, but it's, I mean, I, I, I feel like the the score is an acquired taste. Yeah. I, I mean, feel in many parts the other parts, of the the other songs in the score that make up the score work in their areas a little bit better. The the uh, chase theme, that, you know, the dun 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 Yeah. That I kind of feel fell flat. Well, I think maybe it's because it's married to images of a Michael that we're not too enthusiastic about. We'll get into in a second. But uh, before that, so we're in, we're, we go into the opening titles. Yep. It's it's styled very much the same way. The, the thing about this movie, you will it, it does suffer from that same sequelitis where in many ways it is a lot being copied from the first one. Carpenter himself even said, I'm writing the same movie again. Right. Except this time, like, switch Laurie and Loomis. Which we will get into. Oh, God. Yeah. How many really, things are we going to get into today? A lot. We're going to get into a lot of shit today, folks. Yes. As, but, like, you have a certain experience with, like, how this pumpkin is a little bit different. Yes. The, well, this pumpkin they use is a much one of those fatter pumpkins that you may be lucky to get at the pumpkin patch if you go early enough. Uh, the face they carve into it is a little kind of goofy looking, I think. It's more of a visual, you can't see. But the thing about this is that... Amusing. The thing about this one is that, and I do feel it is symbolic with what I was saying before about this movie being like the lethal second... Where like the shit has hit the fan and this is the you know the struggle to survive. The pumpkin, as it gets clo- close enough in, it starts splitting open. Behind it is the is a skull. I did not notice until the Blu-ray release, and I think I even noticed it in theaters. There's a this deep inside. Maybe I'm fucking hallucinating. Maybe maybe this thing is the equivalent of like visual PCP or something. But there were the way the the light from the candle shines on the skull as it's playing apart. You could see fucking eyeballs behind it staring back at you. I mean, they could have put eyeballs in the back there for, I guess, depth and like, you know, have like an eye light in there to like add something to that skull. Oh, there's some kind of lens. Something is reflecting back at you that looks like an eye. Hmm. I mean, I, I've seen like you point out to me and everything, but I just like I'm just curious, like why why make that decision? That's that's my question. When I, I saw that on Blu-ray for the first time, it gave me chills. Right. <laughs> it's ridiculous and it is unnerving, and especially and I do like. I do like the fact that it is a kind of... You only notice it for a split second, though. Only notice it for a split second. Because what I think they did is I think they put two smaller candles in both sides of the pumpkin. Because when it splits in half, you still see light flickering from both sides. Yeah. And that's where the reflection comes. Once the pumpkin gets further away and there's no more light on it, it's just a more bluish ambient light as they zoom further in and they zoom in into the eye socket right but you don't see anything because there's not nothing reflecting in there yeah yeah it's just for a split second and it gave me fucking chills right and then we transition into the first of many pov shots in this movie and now very uh, reminiscent of the original halloween starts on a pov shot but a scene of his hand stealing a knife uh, but the thing is that was only done when he was a kid we never saw them as an adult doing that the POV shots? The POV shots. Yeah. And so, unless you... always got over-the-shoulder stuff. Yeah, but but unless you want to argue, like, the tracking shot from when they're in front of Tommy's school, in front of the the fence, and then it's looking down the pathway to where the, the, the kids are coming out of their classrooms, you, you want to argue that's maybe Michael's point of view, just watching the... Unless he's literally driving in the back seat. Yeah. <laughs> and he's not. I mean, it's the same, like, it's a little different because it's systematic of everybody ripping off Halloween because there's so many slash movies made in the wake of this success that would do that, especially Friday the 13th, where you saw a lot of Pamela Voorhees' point of view. Spoilers, Pamela Voorhees is the killer in the first Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th really is the biggest 
Like, if we're going to talk it's about It's unabashedly like that. It's unabashedly a Halloween ripoff. Yes. I mean, Tron Cunningham has admitted that on record. So, and this is kind of the same thing where it's like, uh, it, but then again, are like, is it ripping off if you're doing it to your own work? No. <laughs> but yeah, but I, I feel like. It's doing it because this is the sequel. They didn't, Carpenter didn't know what to do. So let me repeat many of the same things. Right. And so we see Michael going to the backyards of houses. He sees Loomis like. This is like his getaway. Yeah. Like, as he's getting further and further away. He. Come. He's at the end of an alley, and at the in the street, there's Loomis frantically saying, "I finding Sheriff Brackett, who met up with him. I shot him six times." And he's he's shocked from the fact it, that he's not it was dead. seven. Yeah, in this film, in Halloween one, it was six. Yes, Which I, I counted. I'm like, I don't know. I'm still baffled how that gets got by the people making the movie anyway. And so we followed a POV into a house as a, a husband and wife. A husband's watching Night of Living Dead t- passed out at the very beginning of the movie. And the, the wife is making sandwiches. And they made sure to go – everything that they have, they pretty much made sure to go with public domain. Yes. I don't even know if – Mister is Mr. Sandman public domain by now by then? No, because I think it was like a – like, uh, Okay, there you go. So that's probably the only thing they actually paid for in this movie. Yeah. Only licensed thing. And then, like I said, he's got sponsors from Coca-Cola because there's so much Coca-Cola products throughout. Not as much as Jack and Jill, though. Oh, God, no. <laughs> Which also photographed by Dean Cundy. Oh, God. Yeah. It all, oh, my God. It all makes sense now. Yes. And so we fu- Michael goes into the house, and it's a little weird because it, it's he steals the knife as we hear the the broadcast for Night Living Dead is interrupted by the, the special news bulletin. And I love the moment where it cuts to a split diopter shot. And a split diopter shot is a filter you would put on the lens and allows what, what things are in the foreground and background to be in the focus at the same time. It can achieve deep focus. The only problem is down the center of the lens, there'll be a little bit of a kind of out of focus, like line. And like, especially people like Brian De Palma was so good at doing things. It's like he would frame that line specifically along something vertical. So you would, wouldn't notice it. Like he'll put it at the end of a door or a hallway. And so you wouldn't notice it so much. So, but in the shot we have in the far left of the frame, we have, um, the, the husband, husband asleep. The middle ground, we have his wife uh, uh, talking to him. And the background, you have Michael taking a knife and walking outside. And the actual shot of him picking up the knife with his bloody hand. Yeah. Is, you could say is reminiscent of the original Halloween when it's the, knife of, the, the shot of child Michael taking the knife out of the drawer. And it's so close to the lens. And, like, and anamorphic out of focus, lenses, yeah. It's, and it's out of focus because anamorphic have problems um, – uh, focusing things in, in close-up because because the, the, the size of the lenses, they're actually technically longer than what you would consider a spherical or flat lenses, but we'll get into more technical stuff as we go on. And so the wife turns around after hearing the, the broadcast, signs the, finds that the knife is gone, there's blood all over the place, she starts screaming. Blood all over the countertop. Yeah. And then we see Michael... Just casually walking. Because Michael is not longer played by Nick Castle. He's played by Dick Warlock. Yeah. There's there's varying stories on why Nick Castle didn't return. He, I believe by that by then, I believe he already began his directing career. Did he make The Last Starfighter by this point? I don't think by this point, but he, he co-wrote Escape from New York with Carpenter. And that was... I've heard he wasn't asked to return. I've, I've heard many stories. And same thing with The Mask, which, which we shall get into. Yeah. But this time, uh, Michael was played by stuntman Dick Warlock. Now... Who's like Kurt Russell stunt double for years to come. I feel a lot of why, and this is going to be a very unpopular opinion, Dick Warlock is not one of my favorite Michael Myers. No. I feel a lot of that has contributed to the fact that he had to follow Nick Castle's establishing performance. 
as we talked about in the previous podcast, Nick Castle had almost he had like a rhythm to him himself when he when he moved, when he did anything, every action. There was always some part of his body in motion, and it was a very deliberate motion, like yes. like the, like I described the way he would like move his hand across something, or if he's like walking towards Laurie with the knife, he'd may, like put it in the other hand real quick. There was always some kind of just motion that made him feel almost because he was an actor. The rhythm of how he walked across the street, you know, yeah. and everything. Not just a stunt double. I think that's one of the biggest um, problems with in Nightmare on Elm Street Two. There's one scene where the coach is killed in the shower. Robert England's not in the costume. It's a stuntman. You could tell it's just like a rigid dude just walking there. And it's like, and you that's when New Line Cinema realized, like, no, we can't just replace it with anybody else. It needs to be Robert England in the costume and to bring out that performance. And I think that's a another example of something you'd hear in Halloween 2 where you can't just put anybody in the costume. You have to have somebody with a acting prowess in there. And Dick Warlock is a stuntman. He's not particularly an actor. He did a great job in the stunts. He, he fucking had to do a lot of shit. He had to fall off that balcony. He had to fucking have a bunch of squibs go off getting shot. Walk through a, gla- a glass through window. a glass window, albeit it was probably sugar glass, but regardless. Still, you, you have to walk into it and hope to God you don't cut your eyes if that's thing going in the mask. Yeah. No. It, it is, as a you know stunt performer. And even in um, freaking Halloween 3 when he was one of the, as we will get to in, as we will get to in Halloween 3, we're always getting to something. Yeah. You know, he was one, destination. Don't worry. He people. was one of the uh, the uh, men in the suits. Yes, that, that killed uh, Harry Grimbridge in the beginning, and then self-immolated himself in the car. Yes, but unfortunately, he he lacks he lacks all the, the rhythm. He lacks the body language. That's the two words you have to use. He yeah. lacks the body language that Nick Castle brought because he, he had he has a very robotic way, of a very move. plotting board robotic way. He's stiff. Mm-hmm. And it's just like there's no fluidity to him at all. No. And he walks across the street, and there's a woman, a girl, overhears the screaming and says, goes out to see if anything's okay. No, no response. Goes back to the house, and she gets back on the phone that she's talking to her friend. And it's like, oh, like, I guess the neighbors are at it again. And that's when her friend informs her, like, yo, there's been murders in the neighborhood right down the street. She listens to the radio. The broadcast is still going on. Michael sneaks into the house behind her, unbeknownst to her. She hears something go on in the living room. She goes to investigate very slowly, and Michael just pops up. Jumps up. Jumps Ooh. up, stabs her, and then we see a lot of blood shot, shoot onto her, her chin. And that was a big thing of uh, – that was a big decision of Carpenter's. After the, the he viewed an early cut of the film, he really did feel – as Tommy Lee Wallace put in the that same 25 years of documentary, John Carpenter felt the pressures of the marketplace because he had so many horror movies that were – Reinventing fucking gore. It was the Tom Savini era had begun. Yeah, by you, then you had you had Rob Bottin, you had you had uh, Rick Baker, you had Tom Savini, and you had like a young Greg Nicotero like in, in being groomed to become a, the next like horror effects uh, person. And if you try to, it, John felt that if I try to do something like I did before, it's just going to get swallowed up. It's going to seem tame. It's going to seem old. So he came back and he directed a lot of. I'd say, like, I don't want to say pick up shots, but, but like. You can tell, like, that the blood on her chin, that's definitely an insurance shot. Oh, like, yeah. She's definitely not on that set. Mm-hmm. And, okay, with that in mind, was that the right decision with the power of hindsight? I don't think it was the right decision to go to the extremes that they did in this one. There is a lot of blood in this movie. I mean, it's it's not as bad. It, it, it is tamer than other words. There was no MPAA uh, issues, uh, you know, come downs on this. 
it was released as it was without having to make any additional cuts. But at the same time, too, I feel they went a little overboard this time around. I, I, you could be right that he may have overcompensated for it because, I mean, even with the fog, it was supposed to be kind of bloodless. And he that and he seen movies like by Cronenberg at that point. Like, I don't know if the, like, it might have been like The Brood and whatnot. And so... He went back to shot and sort of stuff of like the the sailors being stabbed by the ghost of pirates and everything, and just to give it up, uh, give it a little more intensity with a visceralness. And I guess he kind of felt the same kind of pressures here. I feel it also does interfere with the transition between the two movies when you go from one to the other. Now it's just all of a sudden it's a goddamn gore fest. Yeah, and, and along with uh, coupled with the fact that our feelings towards Dick Warlock, it is a despite the fact that it is. Is trying his damnedest to be connected to the first one. It's just another separation that feels like, oh, it's not. It's not as like a square peg in a round hole or anything like that. But it's like one of these things is not like the other. Yes, and, and even Dick Warlock appearance-wise, um, he definitely has a different body type than uh, Nick Castle. And the mask, the Michael Myers mask, is it looks very different. It actually is the same one from the first one. Right, but the way his, I guess, his head is shaped or whatever, the two guys, the two men have a very drastically different body type, and it looks like two different masks. Yeah, I, I feel like Nick Castle is a little bit taller than Dick Warlock. I don't know if that for for fact. No, Dick Warlock is is I believe, he wore lifts. I believe Dick Warlock is the shortest person to play Michael Myers. We're not talking like we're not talking like freaking uh, Danny DeVito short. But. No. <laughs> Lori, I'm coming to get you. <laughs> I just now imagine I'm the trash man. <laughs> Well, Dick Warlock himself, I have a uh, quote right here, um, how he prepared to be Michael Myers, because Michael Myers has more screen time, which is also an issue with this, um, how he watched the scene of where Laurie was huddled in the closet, how he breaks through, and how he, Michael, he like falls down when he's attacked, you know, sits up, looks around, tilts his, he looked at those moments. And according to this quote, it says here, I didn't really see much more than that to hang my hat on in the first film. That was a uh, quote from pitofhorror.com from 2006. Okay. So there you go. He saw the actual actions that Michael does, like how he sits up menacingly, how he, you know, tilts his head. Other than that, he didn't really see the walk, the pacing, the body language, the constant... uh, rhythm to your movement the, right. the body language really. yeah and especially since like even in that moment at the end of the first Halloween, it is a little weird that he's just kind of like staggering over to laurie to kill her and everything because like i feel like at that point like it's just so frustrated he wants to kill her and and so i guess he just took the wrong cues from those i didn't think he take, took enough cues yeah he needed to he concentrated I, I felt like he needed to research the whole thing as a whole every right. scene as a whole and Rick Rosenthal thought that was just fine and just went with that. And so afterwards, after he has killed the woman in the house... I also feel like him killing the woman is part of the whole sequelitis thing, because right after he gets a knife in the first one, he kills his sister, who is a young woman. Right after he gets the knife in this one, he kills the character of Alice, who is a young woman. Yeah. And the thing is, it actually has no bearing on the plot. It is there just to build up a sense, you know, a, a scare factor, because it is still a horror movie, but we... This character of Alice is not mentioned again. No. It's not mentioned as something like, oh, we found another body, so he must be heading this way when he's really yeah. heading the other way. You know, yeah, they could have been, they could have thrown a red herring thing in there. Yeah, it, it is, like, you could have cut that scene out. Yeah. Nobody would have missed it. And so, another thing, like, as we mentioned before, like, this budget is obviously bigger because 
we cut to um, a police car showing up to the Doyle house, and it is a crane shot that, that dips down, that booms down, and the Steadicam operator steps off the crane, follows the officers up the driveway to the front door, and that's when we're introduced, reintroduced to Laurie Strode. She's been taken out in an ambulance. Yeah, and she's definitely wearing a wig here. Yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis had cut her hair by then. Uh, I think two years before Trading Places, but she definitely was still sporting short hair by this point. Yeah, because even in the fog, she has short hair. Yeah. And that was two years before this. So she had to wear a wig. I feel it's more apparent in some places. I feel like I didn't really – even to this day, I feel like I don't notice it a lot. I do feel like like it's something that works in many scenes. Yeah. It's more during her, like, getaway scenes that I feel it's apparent when she's really – It's very – it's not moving like actual hair. It's just kind of like glued to the top of it, like very Lego hair or Especially something. Especially like when her stunt woman comes into play at the end. Yeah. Um, but we're introducing it to Jimmy at this point. Well, well with Lori, she spe- you know, because of, with the whole wig thing, like she spends most of the movie in bed in a, in a hospital, sedated practically. Yeah. And that was a point of contention for Deborah Hill, who said, you know, our main character is now bedridden for damn near the whole movie. I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing because I do very much, as I've said, try to view these two movies as two parts of a whole. I feel like the first part was more Laurie's story with Loomis as the secondary main character there that we follow and is important. Now it's Loomis's turn to be the lead main character on his pursuit of Michael in the second, in the second uh, half of this story. Like Michael has struck. Now Loomis takes over as the main guy. Now Loomis is the one going after him. Lori's still in there. Lori's still very important because everything leads back to Lori. Mm. But now Loomis is at the forefront and Lori's sort of in the background as opposed to before where Loomis was the guy that you would see every now and again, you know, searching for Michael, but not necessarily because we, we mentioned in the last one, there was one scene when um, Brackett comes back to the house and Loomis just basically says the same thing he already said before. And it feels like it feels like a useless scene, but at the same time, you need it to help pace out uh, the scenes of right, Lori right, and everything right, yeah. they're doing. But, but I think that might be another reason why I don't enjoy this movie as much is because I just, I just find it like it's more interesting to follow Jimmy Lee Curtis more than, than Donald Plenis in this movie, or in, in, I guess in the first movie. And then here she does become a background character in her own movie. But And that, that, that's been a point of contention in other movies as well. It's not a detriment to me just because I love Donald Pleasance's performances as this. I'm so engrossed in the character of Dr. Loomis and everything he's seen and fears. And now that fear has come true. And I want to follow Dr. Loomis and, you know, join, join him on the chase. Right. And so we cut to the hospital. And we're just, we see a mother bringing her child to the hospital because it, we get to see an urban legend play out. Uh, that some kid, uh, somebody uh, put out razor blades and candy, and the kids cut his tongue. Yeah, the razor blades that stuck in his mouth. His mother bringing the child Ooh. to the same hospital Lori's on the way to. And so Lori's brought in there, and like the character of Jimmy, one of the um, we're, introdu- we're introduced to the um, the two paramedics, Jimmy and uh, Bud. Bud. And it's funny because like I'm wearing a hoodie, yep. uh, a, a Halloween two hoodie that has Bud on there. And the Halloween- your your ho- Haddonfield Memorial Hospital hoodie. Yes, which I styled absolutely. in the same way as the jackets they wear. Exactly, and I absolutely love this because it's just, just so warm. Uh, thank you, Fred Rags. Um, and the shirt. Yeah. Oh my God, I forgot the fur. This is also Fred Rags. I forgot. About I pointed that. that out when we were getting food before. Yeah. This episode was sponsored by Wendy's, by the way. Yes. Uh, enjoy uh, their new uh, uh, mushroom bacon shit burger. <laughs> yeah, just say like, did you it was enjoy crazy. that? Oh, I fucking love that. I ate the fuck out of that. Are, are you gonna be regretting it a little bit later? Absolutely not. Okay, good. 
And so then we introduced to pretty much all the, the majority of the hospital staff as they as they treat Lori here, including the drunk doctor. We have Doctor Mixter, who's who has just yeah, come from, been the mixing, com- all right. from the country club. He's been drinking. Uh, we have Mrs. Alves, who's like the head nurse. She is a, a tough as nails, take no prisoners boss who expects you to be on, on your A game twenty four seven. Right. Um, Jill, another nurse there. She's like the last nurse to survive. Mm. Um, Janet, I believe she's a nurse's aide or whatnot. Mm-hmm. We have, um, I fucking can't remember all these characters' names. And that's also another thing that people say. In the original Halloween, we know Annie, Laurie, and Linda. We and know Bob. them. And, and Bob. Bob. And um, who, who doesn't remember Bob? But in this one, this is the part where they hired many, like, character actors. They didn't. They didn't, I feel like they didn't give them enough interactive screen time with each other. Well, they did, but it was cut out. In, in the cut, yes. Yeah. There because are there many, several de- deleted scenes. There are many deleted scenes where um, most of these nurses and hospital staff are interacting with each other, and it feels good. It feels like you're getting to know them. And as the movie goes on, you're really starting to see these, these fears overtake them. Right. And... We have uh, Lori drugged from uh, to be to be sedated, and um, the Ramones somewhere are, are happy that she's being sedated. That she wanted to be sedated. Well, she didn't want to be. She didn't want to be put to sleep. No. Um, I was going to try and make another Ramones joke, but I'm not going to. Um, and so we cut back to Loomis and Brackett searching the neighborhood, and um, Loomis is kind of like a little bit of a. Loomis is losing his fucking shit at this point because every fear that he had has now come true. Yes. And Bra- he's seeing Michael everywhere now. He's seeing him everywhere. And Brackett almost feels like he is being too paranoid, overreacting, doesn't believe he could have shot him six times. He's just starting to get fed up with him, quite frankly. Yes. But um, Loomis reloads his six-shooter. His seven-shooter. His seven-shooter. Tells Brackett to stop because he sees somebody in, the, in a very similar outfit wearing a Halloween mask. Down the street, uh, approaching some kids. It's like a, it, it, it's a very close to. It's like instead of blue co- one piece coveralls, it's like a jacket and jeans. It's like, like two, a two piece, you know, navy blue like work pants and uh, button up work shirt. Yeah, and it is pretty much the shape mask with the exception of white blonde. hair. Yeah, like bleach blonde Ric Flair white hair. Woo woo! And it's kind of curious that somebody would have an outfit so similar to him, but. Loomis gets out of the police car. In a town allegedly so small. Yeah. And he's, like, he's running at this person, gun drawn. Yelling at the kids, get back, get back. Like, and Brackett's trying to... Grandpa's been drinking again. He tries to subdue him. The kid is frightened by this point. Runs out into the street. It's one of those things where it's like you see someone yelling down the street. At you, and you're like, you just keep walking. You're like... Ignore the old drunk yeah, guy down yeah, the, the, the road. This, this person that looks like Michael Myers now is just like looking back, like, what, is he yelling at me? What, what, yeah, he couldn't be yelling at me. What the fuck's going on? He crosses the street and fails to see the cop car speeding at him, which hits him, rams him into a fucking van, which then explodes because in '80s movies, every th- cars explode when they're hit. Yeah. Okay. Before we get into like the TV that I've seen of this this moment at the end of the scene, how did you? F- okay. Is this too far removed from the first movie at this point, the first time we see a fucking explosion? Well, this is where the $2.5 million budget comes in. We can now blow up cars if we want to. More crane shots and more car explosions. More crane shots and explosions in general. I don't know. I just feel like it's just so far removed from the first movie. It is, but at the same time, I feel like it's supposed to be. We need some kind of, like, red herring at this moment. Like Jaws, when they kill the first shark and they think they killed the shark. 
Right. You know? I mean, and even, like, in... And while his body's burning, you know, uh, bracket, he's attending to the cop that, that hit him, played, played by, by Dick, Dick Warlock. Warlock. And he screamed, is it him or not? And Loomis just does not know, because Loomis is Loomis is adrenaline through the fucking roof. Like you said, he's seeing Michael everywhere. And now this person is on fire, and he does not know. He does not know if someone innocent has just died or if they got who they're looking for. In the TV edit, there is an alternative take where he screams, I don't know, to bracket. And at the end of the scene, uh, the uh, Deputy Hunt, uh, Hunt. Deputy Gary Hunt, played by Hunter Von Leer, a character, and I also believe actor as well, that was supposed to come back for the now canceled Halloween Returns, the first sequel reboot announced almost three years ago now. Right. Ironically, though, after reading the, the uh, leaked script, and the thing is, I, I, I did make sure to verify that this shit was authentic because many, when it was canceled, a handful of websites did reviews on the leaked script. And every, so far, everything that they've talked about checks out. The character of Deputy Hunt would have been, like, one of your main characters in Halloween Returns. But Halloween Returns ignores Halloween, too. It picks it, – it, literally, the opening of Halloween Returns is Michael sitting up after being shot out of the Doyle house. Huh. So you're bringing back a character that now, according to your continuity, we have no history with. That's stupid. Look, look, Tim, they're, they're, it's their full-time job in Hollywood. They're paid untold thousands, maybe even millions to write these movies. They can't come up with something that's – like if they have to do work, that's just, just too hard. If Jeff Johns can bring back fucking Hal Jordan from being parallax, I think somebody can bring back – That's comic books. And that, there's a stupid reason why he shouldn't have been thrown off the DC movies, but fuck! This is, this is, this is Hollywood. Anything goes. Just give him a plate of cocaine and they'll come up with anything. Uh, Remember that Dr. Loomis guy? Let's not have him either. Let's have someone that was referenced in fucking Halloween 2 be a psychiatrist that that now no Dr. Rogers' character from Halloween. Yeah. That was in the script of Halloween Returns. Who's uh, Michael's real psychiatrist? I don't know. Stupid. We get a recap. Laurie and Loomis get one mention and then that's it. You're at, you're as in baseball, you've been ejected from the building. Been ejected from this movie, and so we have a budding relationship between uh, Jimmy and. Anyway, Lori. back to something that doesn't suck. Yeah, Jimmy and Laurie and stuff like that. Fuck and you, Hollywood. <laughs> Fuck you. Um, no wonder fucking. No wonder fucking uh, Miramax lost the fucking Halloween franchise. Fucking Harvey touched it by giving that script to his buddies. Oh. Letting his buddies write that shit. Harvey Weinstein touched it too many times. Um, Halloween two is part. Uh, Halloween Returns is part of the Me Too movement. So, what do you think of this relationship that's kind of, that's kind of burgeoning here between Jimmy and Lori? And like, because Lori's been seeming kind of so skittish around men, or at least it's presented like that because we never see her interact with any guys of her. Oh, she's age. high as a kite right now from <laughs> all the meds, but she she's taking like the Jimmy. Jimmy is the younger of the two. Um, I think he's a little bit older than her because uh, from what we are to expect, Lori is a senior in high school. So I'm guessing Jimmy can't be more than like two, three years older. And because because Bud refers him as college boy later on in the college movie. boy, and apparently she goes to school with his brother Ziggy, right? Which was the name of uh, the fictitious uh, plankton my sister used to scare me with. You say like if I ever stepped on line, like she would feed me to her plankton Ziggy. Oh, okay. Yeah, and she had It'll like take a, him a fucking long time. To yeah, eat. no, she had like this kind of like finger toy that was like a little bit like a monster, and said like this is what he's gonna look like when he's trying to eat you, and you start my toes and eat me upward. Um, and so. 
we after that, so like everything seems to be kind. But Mrs. Alves is being a uh, huge cock block at this point. Mrs. Alves just wants to let Laurie sleep. Yeah, I, I, she's I, being the good person. Like, she's being I, the good. I've worked there. for a tough female boss before, so I respect Mrs. Alves heavily. Definitely, she wants these people to do their fucking jobs. She wants this guy to st- to leave leave the patient that was just violently attacked alone to sleep, to yes. rest, to heal. She had a cracked bone in her ankle. She was fucking you know slashed on the arm, injured heavily. Keep your dick to yourself. Basically, and and Jimmy is taking. I I don't mind like the budding relationship. I mean, I'm thinking to myself if Michael Myers shows up, what the fuck is Jimmy gonna do? I don't know. Uh, run away, <laughs> run away. That feminine run that he gives later in the movie when he's running down the halls. Is that how he's gonna run from him? He's just sway away. Give from him a little that. basket that he could run with. Do do that. Go into like Photoshop. Photoshop in frame by frame a little basket when he's running away. <laughs> a little wicker basket. <laughs> With Easter eggs falling out of them. Thanks for thanks for listening to us, folks. Tim is, Tim is gone. Uh, like, be sure to like us on Facebook and Twitter. Um, we cut back to the crime the crime scene of the Doyle and um, Wallace house. Uh, we see a very young Dana Carvey in the background. Oh, and as we forgot to mention, we're going back to this because Deputy Hunt. Before I went on my little tirade there, Deputy Hunt pulled up to let uh, Bracket know that one of the three kids found was Annie. So yes. they all get back in the car. Brackett leaves his car just in the middle of the fucking road. Yeah. Uh, this pol- Presumably Dick Warlock takes that car. Well, Dick Warlock is sitting here now, the only cop having accidentally killed someone in the sea of this crime to explain to everyone, I Luckily guess. Luckily, didn't shoot him. Yeah, right? And so... They arrive got- back at the Doyle house, yes. Yeah, and they go to the Wallace house. We get uh, our um, Annie cameo, pretty much. with uh, Nancy Loomis. The- well, Nancy Loomis, she makes a cameo as a dead body. Being taken on us, but she was also the one on the phone with Alice in the beginning of the movie. Oh, okay. She was the friend. Um, and okay, you had one job to do, just sit there and be a dead body, and she kind of screws it up when. You can see her eyes kind of like. Twitch when, when, when Charles Cyphers closes her eyelids before pulling the sheet back over her. Yep, he wants to see. And at this point, uh, Charlie Cyphers, have, have, a, have a nice career. Yeah. Sheriff Brackett officially leaves the Halloween franchise right now. And uh, Deputy Hunt takes over as the primary police officer. Um, at first, he he wants to believe that Michael Myers is also dead. He says that he's dead. I saw him burn. So Loomis has to ha- has one of his you know long uh, monologues about you know I watched him. There was nothing human. I want to believe he's dead. So he asks Hunt, Deputy Hunt, to get a dentist to meet them at the coroner's office in you know half an hour, or whatever. Um. That's the, like sort of the, that's sort of how we were talking about before how the relationship between Deputy Hunt and Doctor Loomis in this movie, as brief as it is, is definitely different from Sheriff Brackett because yes. even throughout the original Halloween, Sheriff Brackett, 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 yes, Brackett. Sheriff Brackett, <laughs> the Brack Show. Hey, is he Brack? Is <laughs> hey, the Brack Show? Uh, Sheriff Brackett is a little more dismissive; doesn't want to believe Loomis. Deputy Hunt kind of starts out like that. But later on, as we go, when they get to the the autopsy scene, we're jumping a little bit ahead right now. When they examine the dead body, um, you know, the dentist basically says that, you know, this is probably the body of someone that was around 17 based on his dental work. Right. So the one of the cops comes in and says how they closed everything up. But Deputy Hunt says, no, open it back up. Deputy Hunt now believes Dr. Loomis that she, he's still out there. And, I, I, and there's what I think is a good deleted scene that – of them walking out of that office saying how – Deputy Hunt saying how I knew Annie Brackett, you know, I want to make sure that this is stopped, this is dead. So it, it's basically the scene where he 
says to Loomis, I'm with you. Right. And Loomis says, okay, he pro- he was wounded. He probably went home. So let's go to his house. Right. Um, but before that, we have a scene like almost like a little bit of a town square where there's a lot of people kind of interacting and just milling around on they're doing their Halloween business. We're introduced to uh, – I forget that, the nurse. Nurse Karen. Karen, Karen um, uh, on her way – with her friend leaving Bud, a party. Bud's girlfriend. Bud the paramedic's girlfriend. Yeah. Played by the brilliant Leo Rossi. Yes. And so they're talking about, like, this party was terrible, and now you got to go to work. And so her friend's like, no, you got to drop me off first, and you made a promise. And he's like, all right, fine. I'm going to get yelled at, but I'm going to do it anyway because she's a good person. At the same time, we have somebody walking around with a boombox listening to the radio broadcast of what's going on. Which is actually played by a young, young man, you know, early teens, with a boombox walking down the street in, like, a cowboy outfit. Right. And all of a sudden, the music is cut out till the news broadcast saying, oh, the tonight's massacre, the young boy was played by Lance Warlock, Dick Warlock's son. Right. Tonight's massacre, the only sur- survivor, Laurie Strode, was brought to Haddonfield Memorial Hospital. At that point, the kid ex- walks into Michael Myers. Yeah. You know, who, who was just off screen, and we, just, we get that sting music. Yeah. Basically showing us that Michael has now heard via this radio yeah. that Laurie's at the hospital. He knows where to go. So while the cops are looking all over town... He's in the house. He's already got. He's already knows where he's going. And he's not carrying a weapon anymore because he buried it in Alice's chest. So he just looks like any other Halloween uh, participant in the costume. He left. He left it in the school, which we will get to. Yes, that's true. My my apologies. Um, and so while in the hospital, you know the, the nurses and everyone are interacting. Many of them, have, like Karen, has shown up late. Mrs. Alves yells at her. Yeah. By that point, Michael has arrived at the hospital. Yeah. And he begins this, pro- you know, the same process before the slow burn of picking everyone off one by one. Uh, at first, we start out with Mister Garrett, the security guard. Yes. Um, when Mrs. Alves goes in to tell Jimmy to fuck off, leave Lori alone, she goes to call her parents. You know, who they couldn't get in touch with earlier. Phones are dead. You see the look of concern on Lori's face, like this is what happened before. Mm-hmm. So they inform Mister Garrett to go check, and we have a nice, very long scene of the security guard, Mister Garrett, looking for. Looking to see, you know, what's going on. Checking out the phone lines, checking everything outside, checking out the storeroom. He finds evidence of a break-in at the storeroom. This right. scene, I felt, was like... Too it, long. When I first watched it, it had the, still had the suspense for me. Mm. On repeat watchings, it does feel a little long drawn I think out. it's because it's the, two, the two false scares. I think if there was one false scare, either it was the cat or the, yes, he, the shed opening and all the shit falling on him. He inspects it, a dumpster and a cat jumps out at him. And then the second one, he gets to the storeroom, sees evidence of a break-in, at which point he no longer has the signal on his walkie-talkies. Yeah. And then he hears the sound of something, you know, falling in a room. He opens the door. Nothing's there. When he closes it, right behind him is Michael Myers with a hammer and with the uh, claw end, boop, right in the head. It, it was hammer time. It was him. hammer time. I mean, uh, thank God he didn't have to be suffered through the Hammer Time TV show. Hammer Man. Oh, man. I mean, and you had, you had the gall. To start playing the theme song. While we're watching this movie, and now I have that in the back of my head. I may have to take a drill bit to my temple to get the this out. agonizingly long theme song to the old 1990 cartoon Hammer Man. I think the fucking exposition to Lord of the Rings was shorter than that intro. All the endings to Lord of the Rings were shorter than that intro. <sighs> and so... <laughs> as short as a hobbit speaking of hobbits i did see a, a like custom mug on like on facebook it says like it's it's gandalf uh, um speaking to frodo it's dangerous where you go take this and he's holding out sam in his arms kind of like how zelda is like it's dangerous where you go pl- take this yes and so i, I always thought that was just really funny <laughs> i like that app too the screaming goat app 
on Google Play Store now. So, we could... <laughs> what the fuck is so funny? Everything. Life's been good to me. Life's been good to me. <laughs> what if we say no? Well, Tony. All right, we're not going <laughs> We'll be here for a while. <laughs> we'll just shake hands and be done with it. I don't have an electric buzzer, so could you just touch that wa- live wire by my electric breakers? Well, I... And just hold on to it. <laughs> That's while what I, while, I, while I narrate. <laughs> We've got a live one here. <laughs> uh, so at the Myers house, uh, the teens had said, fuck this shit, we're going to burn down this house if we had the chance to. But luckily the cops show up to stop them from destroying oh, yeah, the house. Nice mob has shown up, you know, throwing rocks through it and everything. Yeah. And that's when we have another scene of Luma saying, yeah, there's a force inside him, and it's just waiting for him. Like, you didn't, like, and you knew about it, didn't you? Yeah, I knew. And it's just like. At which point, two young boys run up and basically say, uh, Deputy Hunt, our, our friend hasn't come back from a party. He was 17, Bennett Traber. I what, was like, only 17, 17. Sorry. You're as, po- you're as popular as Stuart wearing a winger shirt on Beavis and Butthead after doing that. <laughs> oh my god! I don't think I wore a winger shirt! Thanks for joining us, So we have a flashback, the first of this movie. Well, yes, as Michael has now entered the hospital and is on the prowl for pretty much anyone, Lori, heavily sedated, is kind of having some dreams here. Yeah. I never knew what to make of these, even now. Like, she's dreaming about her real mother telling her... Or her adoptive mother. This I'm not your mother! Mrs. Strode basically saying, how many times do I have to tell you I'm not your mother? And then one of her actually visiting Michael in the mental hospital. Now, here's the, here's the thing, though. Like, they don't go... Because there's not much backstory to Halloween, all we literally have is young boy kills his sister on Halloween night, is put in a mental institution and breaks out. Now we're getting into some weird shit here where, like... Are these actual memories of Laurie? Is she having, like, hallucinations? Is this a bad dream? Is she doing the telepathic thing from Halloween 5? If her parents brought her to meet Michael when she was little... Yeah, why? Why would you bring her to a fucking insane asylum to meet this guy? I mean, yeah. we, we we have the answer to why she would have a connection to Michael at the end of this, which we I think we've actually been very good at not spoiling, even though it's been out for fucking... Almost forty. Palpatine's behind it all. Palpatine was behind it all. Yes. Um, Even in the first one, we were the, the last podcast. We we're actually really good about not like letting that go because we were focusing on the movie as a standalone. Yes. Itself. Okay. Let, let, let's just jump to that now because it, it, cat because out of the bag. You know, at the end, Carpenter. The same bat, cat that jumped out of the dumpster and scared the same cat that scared the fat guy. <laughs> Carpenter. He he blames this on you know too much beer, but basically. Made it where the reason why Michael Myers is chasing Laurie Strode is that that is his, actually his sister. That it was the young sister that was allegedly being babysat or something. Who knows where the fuck she was in the first Halloween right. while the parents were out. But allegedly, uh, all record of her existence was sealed by the courts, even to Dr. Loomis, his freaking psychiatrist. Which I, Sounds negligible. To I, I've heard of government officials doing stupid shit, but it's like... 
If you're trying to get the bottom of a killing, that's kind of a detail. You might the guy the the fucking kid knows he has a sister. Yeah, I mean, okay. Who would have at least been two or three by that point? Because she was like she was seventeen when Michael came after her. Right. And fifth and uh, on in the original Halloween and the mur- the murder of Judith Myers took place fifteen years prior, so she was two years old. Yeah. Michael Myers would know he had a two year old sister. Yes. Maybe they said, "Oh yeah, when your parents died in a car accident," because. According to what we're told, parents died in the car. We were never told what happened to his parents in the first one. No. We were just told nobody's lived here since 1963 when it happened. Right. I mean. And that all the courts sealed the records to protect the family. I don't think I would give Jimmy Lee Curse the nickname Boo, but that's beside the point. Uh, yeah, you and me both. <laughs> okay. So, and it's definitely this is post-Empire Strikes Back at this point. Like, Luke, I am your father. The post-Luke, I am your father era. Which, it's so funny. With that in mind. The entire Star Wars franchise and the entire Halloween franchise is hinged upon these one decisions, these two decisions of making that it is a family-related thing. That the entire six movies is a saga of families with 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 Star Wars. It's all about family and about subverting expectations. Hashtag for family. Hashtag for Paul. <laughs> um, and then with the Halloween franchise, it's completely hinged on the fact that he is. A family member. Now, with that in mind, and this revelation become, being the through line through all the rest of the Halloween movies, does this taint the first movie for you? No. Because the idea of someone who is an unstoppable killer and an unstoppable force is fucking scary regardless of who you are. Right. The fact that this becomes something, and this goes into the fact that I feel Halloween 2 is an awesome part 2 and a needed part 2. Not needed, not required, like, you don't need it to enjoy Halloween 1 at all. You can watch Halloween 1 on its own a million times and love it without ever seeing Halloween 2. Yeah, but Halloween why 2 I, is, you can't But why I feel Halloween 2 is a great part 2 and something where you need, you, you need, you need the next chapter, you know? Right. You could still love Halloween 1, but the next chapter, I feel, augments it. I feel it doesn't completely destroy it. And everything we find out in Halloween 6 of why Michael kills his family, I think it goes with the idea. I think it's the only thing about the Halloween movies that goes with the idea of Halloween. That it's an ancient Celtic curse, spoiler alert, for part 6 when we get up to it. Yeah. Where the sacrifice of one tribe means, you know, the sacrifice of one family means sparing the entire tribe. The only, like, the missed opportunity with that is there's no Celtic Frost playing in that movie. Yeah, that was just a name. They were they were, they were the sweetest men. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they if they threw in some hellhammer, I think I'd be happy. Because here's the thing, though: it doesn't make Michael any less dangerous. He's going to kill anyone that's nearby. And just the fact that's on Halloween, you know, the season of of the, the holiday of playing tricks on people. Yeah, that just adds to it. Like if you're if you're within you know fucking a hundred feet of his target, he's probably going to fucking kill you, and he's probably going to make an effort to kill you because of the way. I don't think it's a conscious thing because he is more of a force than a man. The way he consciously or subconsciously picks off each person around, disables everything around them until they have no place to run, no place to hide, and they're completely alone and fucked. Right. That is still terrifying regardless of who you are that he's after because who knows? Any one of us could know the family member of some fucking escaped killer. And if we happen to be hanging out with them that day, we don't got, we don't got a very good chance. Yeah, it's true. The thing I think is that the actual execution of the reveal of Lori being the sister sucked. The actual background of why she's the sister sucked. Here's what I would have done. 1981. I was negative three years old. I would have sat in front of a typewriter. Being a single sperm cell, I wouldn't have been able to type the keys very well, but I would have had someone do it for me. Mm -hmm. What I would have done 
was have something where Lori was actually a bit younger in high school and had it be where she was born after Michael was incarcerated, where the evil within him pretty much activated at Lori's conception and slowly started to manifest itself over the nine months his mother was pregnant, you know? And it could have been in a short period of time. It could have been before, because you know how some women won't find out until they're already like three months in. It could have been a whole thing where Michael's mother found out she was pregnant after he was incarcerated. And we don't know why our son did this. And now we have to explain to our newborn daughter one day, you know, what will happen. And Michael would never have known that he was going to have a sister. Mm. But instinctually, because of whatever evil was inside of him, he was able to find her out like an animal fucking sniffing her out. I don't mean literally by smelling an envelope like fucking Rob Zombie did. Yeah. But something where a supernatural force told him, you're my target. And that supernatural force was activated by her conception. Hmm. Where the thorn curse, or whatever curse you want to implement later on, that has you kill family members... That was the catalyst for Michael taking on the curse. Okay, I can see that. So you wouldn't, yes, so you wouldn't have this thing, because, I mean, if it's a small town, people are going to know that there's a fucking third Myers child. Yeah. That's that's what they were giving us, the whole small town atmosphere of of Haddonfield. You're going to know that there's a, uh, that this family is a third child. Say, oh, there's going to be the old women at the fucking barbershop. And Caddy. You say, oh, that Myers woman, she's got to explain, she's got to explain, I don't mean to make her Jewish or anything, but. Yeah. She's got to explain to her kid, you know, that's growing up right now, you know. And if the family dies in a fucking car accident, you know, how how hard would it be? Like, oh, wow, the, the Myers people, all of them died in a car accident, and the Strodes happened to adopt a child in the same week. What a coincidence, you know? I mean, I think that's why I enjoyed the explanation in Rob Zombie's Halloween where Brad Dourif's bracket took her and hit her. And, hit her, and then she just happened to be adopted by the Strodes and everything. But here's the weird part with that, too, even – People, if you're going for the small town thing again, people are gonna people know that the Myerses have have three children. Mm. Okay, the Myers woman commits suicide. Where'd the fucking kid go? She didn't crawl out the front door on her own like fucking that episode of the Flintstones when Pebbles and fucking Bam Bam crawl out of the house and they can't find him. That's true. I mean, I liked it with the uh, the best thing I could think of is the idea that like some supernatural force. Was was activated. Some supernatural evil was activated in my Michael the minute his sister was conceived, and he had no idea consciously that he had another sister. Is that why he didn't attack his mother after he killed Judith? Then yeah, okay. Because if it was kill your family, he probably would have gone after them, you know. Or right. it was just the beginnings of this evil manifesting, and over the next fifteen years, it fucking grew in him to make him the monster he was. Hmm. I mean, I understand making... This is why I love this fucking franchise, because we can think of shit like this. Yeah. It leaves you enough open ideas to say, to fill in your own gaps, but also say, you know what? I would have done that differently. I like that idea, but I could have done that a little bit differently. Yeah, it is the missing genes in the dinosaur DNA. Dino DNA! That's what we're filling in right now. My feelings on the... the that she's the reveal that she's a sister. I mean, it makes sense if because we're, we're going back off very for the first one. They killed the first sister. He's come back to do the one. I get that. I mean... I think I think even the explanation of it and being told by Nurse Chambers to uh, Doctor Loomis, I don't mind. I just think I just don't buy it. I think the flashbacks hurt this. 
I don't think we need the flashbacks. I think the flashbacks are superfluous. They're supposed to be like a clue that lets you on that like there's a closer connection between Laurie and Michael. Yeah, but I think delete that and put one of the scenes back with the the, the uh, people at the hospital by uh, interacting with each other. I yeah. think I, I would have more satisfied with that. And fewer scenes of Michael actually uh, seeing him walking around because that's what as we said earlier. Yeah, like at, like when we went back to when he finds out that Laurie's at the hospital. hospital there's that scene's been done two two long takes. Uh, of like Karen and, uh, and her friend at the at her car, and then when when they leave the scene, we follow we the camera pushes in on the uh, Lance Warlock, and that's when we find Michael. And we follow him over the shoulder shot as he walks across this plaza and towards and the sign that says "Happy Memorial." And he follows that. He I has, feel, that I feel you need because that tells the audience, "Oh shit, he knows where she the is." The sign I have no problem with. I just feel like just following him from back, the back. None that did not happen in the first movie. A lot of the time with Michael being in the first movie, he was in the background, far like far distance, or if it's an over-the-shoulder shot, it's a much tighter frame with a longer lens, whereas like the, just the side of the frame was him, and we hear his breathing. Like his, just his shoulder, like literally just, just his, his shoulder, shoulder. is what we say. Whether he'd be watching Laurie walk down the street, or when he uh, watches Lindsay and um, Annie cross the street, um... Rising up from behind the car to watch them. Farting. Farting. farting propelling himself upward with his farts. Yes. With the musical sting to follow it. And then when Annie's in the um, the, washer, the washer room and we see him like through like the windows and or through the straw of the the curtain or anything like that. Or if we see him stalking Annie when she's making popcorn, like it's a stable shot and like all the light in that scene is concentrated on Annie. So, and just the outline of Michael's scene here, even though it's photographed by Dean Cundy, I think the the idea of like following him with the steady cam, and I feel like I don't know. I think we just see too much, and we, the delusion of him of being just evil manifestation within human form, I think, is kind of broken with the fact that we just see him just walk through the neighborhood. And I think it may be just unfortunate coupled with the fact that Dick Warlock's performance is not as interesting as Nick Castle's. So it's kind of a shit sandwich. Uh, well, at the same token, I, I agree with your sentiments, but at the same time, I don't feel like they shouldn't have done these things. I feel like they shouldn't have done these things as much because now in the second one, in this part two, we know the established force that Michael is. And when you have like the over-the-shoulder shot of him walking towards you know, through the plaza after he's heard, you need, I feel you need that so the audience knows, okay, he knows where she is. What you don't always need is just to fill in as pickup shots almost scenes of him walking down the hospital hallways and stuff. Um, the one shot of, of um, right before the mother and her son leave, there's Michael's face in the rearview mirror of the car. Mm-hmm. First, it's out of fo- – like we're focusing on the, the – Karen walking into the hospital. Yes, we're focusing on Karen walking into the hospital far away. And right in front of us, there's an we out rack, of focus of, rack, uh, right next to a car we're standing by. Yeah. But then it – what did you say? re-racks the focus it, 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 it racks and focus. Michael's face is in there. Okay, that's a. It's him in the background. We know he's there. Yeah, there's a lot more shots throughout his stalking of the hospital, of him walking through the hospital hallways. Yeah, and it it gets a bit excessive. There are there are some instances where it's him on like the security camera footage, like we're sitting at the desk. Like once once as it goes on, as more and more of the nurses and hospital staff are picked off, Lori eventually leaves her hospital room because yeah. she knows something's wrong. There's a brilliant deleted scene of Jimmy going to tell Lori that Michael Myers is dead because a cop ran into him with a car and blew him up. Yeah. Like everyone thinks. And Lori's freaking out because he's not dead. He's not dead. That's when the power in the hospital goes out. Yeah. And even Lori sees that the power's out. That's why this was one thing I remember 
watching it with my mom for the first time. She says, the lights in the hospital wouldn't be out. All the emergency lights in the hallways are on, but the lights are out. That scene is cut out of the moment when the power goes out and Michael strikes and the emergency backup generators kick in and the emergency lights are on. So Lori knows something's up. She leaves and then the nurse Jill goes looking for her and there's this constant like cat and mouse type of thing where this person's – Lori walks down this hall, turns this way. Nurse Jill comes back to the table. In the security footage, there's Michael Myers. You know, No, Lori walks into like a room on the security footage. Jill's still looking around. Uh, she goes this way. Michael comes down down the hallway on the sec- and it's still locked in the same shot. Yeah, it's the exact same shot. It's just we have a hallway leading this way at the reception desk where there's a monitor for the security camera, and we're seeing how all three of these characters are missing each other, and the fact that the killer who's after both of them is crossing their paths constantly, unbeknownst, and wh- to, them. unbeknownst to them, and when they can pick it up, there's a tension there, even though Michael is clearly in full sight and everything. I feel that works. Yes, I like that. I mean, I feel like if I was going to be, I know it's just like it's just being the filmmaker in me. I, I feel like if I was going to do that scene again when he finds out the information about uh, Lori being at Haddonfield World, like have the same same guy in the boombox, have him bump into Michael again, but like we won't show it from like shoulder height, go from like knee height, and we just see him like bump into somebody in the black suit with a bloody hand, and then maybe we just kind of like he walks, he walks. Out of frame, we kind of track with him, and we just see his shadow go across the Hanfield Memorial sign. And it's kind of keep the illusion, like, oh, okay. He's well, the Hanfield Memorial sign was kind of high up. Yeah. So you would have had some. You would have had to have a pretty solid perspective where you could still make out Halloween or, Memorial or Hospital. Maybe, on the maybe sign. not even that shot. Like, we'll just, like, cut to a close-up of that sign, and we just see the shadow go across it. Okay. And something just is, like, just do... Just keep the camera off of him as much as possible, and just had to build up that. Sure, we we already established the fact that he is a human. And already... He's already struck, and in the ending of Halloween One, the camera's on him a lot, so we know yeah. who he is. We know we know what he's capable of. That's why it doesn't bother me as much. Gotcha. But as we continue, pretty much all the hospital staff has been picked off. Bud and uh, Karen yeah. have decided to do their their uh, dirty deeds, necessary sex scene, because the two of them flirt like crazy. They go into the hot the hydrotherapeutic hot tub for physical therapy patients sitting there michael myers he turns the the uh he turns the heat up turns the, he turns the heat up he heats things up and we get to see leo rossi's naked hairy ass as he goes gets out of the hot tub to go check on the temperature right but the way they set up this kill is pretty cool you have in the foreground karen we, in the foreground and then back behind there in like the, the frosted glass frosted glass in the room behind there where the equipment is located Bud checking the equipment, and Michael starts, you know, strangling with something. He garrots him while Karen's, you know, fixing her hair and everything. Yeah, completely and quiet. No, and, the, and there's no music too. It's just in that sound. Just of, the sound of the hot tub bubbling. Yeah, and I think that that's the most effective kill in this movie, to me personally, and because it's so 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 akin to the first one, and there's so much tension built up. Like he kills Bud and enters the room with Karen, and Karen's completely unaware of it. She still thinks it's Bud because she's not facing him. She doesn't realize this guy's hands are covered in fucking dirt and crusted blood. Yeah. And she's, like, licking him and biting him. Yeah. She looks up, sees who it is, screams, and he basically drowns her over and over, pulls her head up and out, up and in, up and in, drowning her and boiling her face to death as her skin is peeling off, more with the gross out and gore. Yeah. Um, Jimmy and, you know, all the rest of them are wondering, why can't we find anyone? Uh, Lori... As we said before, before she exited the room, she was having a reaction to the chemicals they took. So, who the fuck was it? Janet? Uh, Janet. Yeah. 
Another thing with these poor characters, they need to give them more screen time. Jan went to go look for the doctor. Jill's looking for, uh, he's trying to. Jill, the, Jill and Jimmy are. For, Jimmy's looking for Mrs. Al. Jill and Jimmy are looking for fucking anyone at this point. But Janet goes to find Dr. Mixter, goes to his office. His shower's still running, but she can't find him. His office is completely turned off. All the lights are off. There's only the glow of, like, the fish tank illuminating things. Yeah. She finds him sitting in a chair, but he's not moving. You know, turns the chair around, and there he is with a hypodermic needle sticking out of his eyeball. Yeah. More with the Goran Gross out. Yeah. And in a, in another, I, I don't want to say copy of Halloween 1, as she's grossed out, she doesn't scream. She slowly starts backing up, grossed out. And then in comes that whole dimmer illumination of Michael's face, where yeah. it's a comes small out. light on a dimmer switch, just like when Laurie, he struck at Laurie in the original. And he takes a, uh, another hypodermic needle, sticks it into her temple, and f- and pumps a bunch of air into her brain. Yeah. So she's dead. So most of the hospital staff is knocked off. No one can find Mrs. Alves. Jimmy goes looking for her. Lori's missing. All kinds of shit is going, breaking loose and going on. Cats and dogs living together. Mass hysteria. hysteria. Jimmy inevitably finds her, and she's on an operating table with an IV. Mrs. Alves. Mrs. Alves with an IV in her arm, which has drained her completely of all her blood all over the floor. Yeah. This is a, this is a hell of a fucking but contrast was, from the first Halloween. Yes, but before that, With the he three was doing, things that we've described he already. Was, he had some very... Uh, Swaying in his running, looking for everybody, running up and down the hallway. Yeah, he had a, he had a bit of a uh, effeminate run. Run, but like, I, I, but like, it's kind of weird to make fun of somebody's run. It's kind of like making fun of somebody's like laugh or sneeze or anything. Like, you can't kind of help. It, it's silly. Yeah, it's kind of just, that, it's that's like, silly walking silly. But it's like, why is he running in the hospital? I know he's looking for people, but it's like it's not safe to run in the hospital. No, and, and he proves that because when he sees the blood all over the floor that he's now standing in when he finds Mrs. Elves' body, Jimmy goes to leave, slips, and boom, I mean, hits his head on the floor, and he's that's out. That's still effective to me. Because it looks like it hurts. Yeah. Anybody slipping on a hard concrete floor would fucking oh. hurt. And, and the thing is, um, I don't like hospitals. I feel very uncomfortable going into hospitals to begin with. However, even within the context of this movie, I am not frightened of this setting. However, within the first Halloween, just like maybe just a set in the fact that it's like a sub- suburban neighborhood, him being anywhere is more frightening. Even in the hospital, like I, I find it to be that scary. I don't know if that's just me or not. It all makes uh, honest to God from a story point. It all makes sense to me because like he, Michael's already struck. He's injured. Lori, where's she gonna go? The hospital. Yeah, of course. Makes I mean, sense. Makes sense. Story wise, yes, it makes sense. I, mean, I feel, reg- and it's a matter of regardless of the setting, he's going to find you. Right. I, but, like, all right, which, which setting is more effective? Oh, the first. Okay. But the thing is, this is the logical next step. Right. That's why it still works for me. Okay. Because logic is telling me, I'm okay. I'm not saying logic is I, mean, yeah. I don't think it just frightens it, me it, enough. It, all right. Fair enough. Yeah. It, despite my innate uncomfortability with hospitals. It still all f- has a – well, I mean, I think well, this movie didn't really frighten me. But the effectiveness of Michael Myers as a character, I feel, is not bound to anything. I'm still scared of – him as a character, right? Regardless of where he is, even if even if the presentation of it in the form of this movie wasn't the scariest, um, there was a TV in the TV cut when Lori's hiding in one of the rooms. She gets the phone and she tries that again while she's kind of still in her drug-induced. Uh, uh, she's still kind of loopy from the medication. Yes, in the TV cut, she picks up the phone and she's like, "He won't go away, Mama. He won't go away." Not in the theatrical cut on the Blu-ray. Um, she leaves the room. Nurse Jill finds her. After she tried to go out to the cars and find out all the tires are flat and the gas tanks have been punctured, um, she finds Lori. Michael finds both of them, stabs um, Nurse Jill in the back with a scalpel, and lifts her up. Lifts her up, and her, and her shoes fall right off. I think 
that's probably the most famous kill probably for this movie. Yeah, definitely. Other than maybe it's like needles the, in the eyes. The needles, yeah, other than like the 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 therapy uh, room scene, and so the chase begins. Okay, at one point, Lloyd has to go down a flight of stairs and goes to the basement to try and hide from him. And this is where the difference between Nick Castle and Dick Warlock really shines. Is the chase in this? Because now it's very much it's very much like in the original Halloween when Michael strikes and he's chasing Laurie. You remember in that last one how fucking intense I was talking about this. Yes. You even told me afterwards we walk out the car. It's like I just let you go because I knew that you were you're on a roll and want to get out. Yeah. This is the exact opposite of that. The, the, unfortunately, with the change in in st- sound of the musical score. I feel it's not as effective with the score, first and foremost. Secondly, as we talked about with Dick Warlock and that one quote of his where he felt that, you know, the, the direct behaviors of Michael Myers were the one things he needed to focus on the most. This is where he should have focused on the body language of the chase because mm. he's walking, but it's slow. He's plodding. He's just looking there in front of him, holding the scalpel out. Ah! Oh, still there. Hey, there's some birthday cake here. And there it goes. Just looking out directly in front of the him. The fucking 80s from uh, the the adats from Empire Strikes Back walked faster than him. Just there's no body language, there's no rhythm, there's no pace. When Michael in the first one is walking across that street to Laurie, who's stuck yeah. there, you could tell this is a guy that's going to fucking get her. Yeah. Just by by the posture of his shoulders after he steps off that curb and walks up to the other side, he throws the knife in the other hand, shoulders are out. He looks like he's about to fuck. He could strike at any second. Yeah. Like, we don't know from where the camera is showing that shot across the street at the Wallace house and Michael getting closer. We don't know exactly his his, uh, approximation between where he is when he gets to his closest point with the camera and where Laurie actually is at the front door. But his posture, everything about his posture says he's about to... Everything about his body language says, I'm getting closer, I'm about to strike. With this, it's just boom, boom, boom. To the point that, like... Lori climbs from one room to another through a tiny window. She gets into the boiler room, finds Mr. Garrett's body, screams, which leads Michael in there. And while she's standing there with his body, he's just the same thing. Boom, boom. She runs the elevator. Boom. Engages well, it. Well, before that, she climbs up a, a shelf into a, a opening, like, high window yeah. that leads into another room. She manages to climb these shelves, get over top of it. By this point, he's, just, he's, finally, walked, he's finally walked up to the shelves. He's finally made it there. Yeah. Way to go. You know, Slowly even, raises even the, his Even the tortoise made it there eventually. Yeah. Raises his arms and takes these uninspired swings with his scalpel that he now has. And she gets through the window, falls onto some fucking boxes and shit. Leaves there, finds an elevator, frantically pressing the button, and she hears the sound of someone walking on, you know, broken glass. glass. She she hears the sound of Annie Lennox walking on, walking on broken glass. (laughs) Nice. I had to. That's fair. Thank you. But still, boom, boom, boom. Comes around the corner. Finally, comes around the corner. There she is. There's still no pace. There's still nothing to his body language. There's nothing even saying, like, I got you, bitch, and I'm slowly going to... Like when we did Halloween Reborn, our little movie. Yeah. When you have that low angle against the floor shot of me as Michael Myers walking towards my victim who's now crawling for his life, you could still tell the way I step heel to toe. Yeah. 
it's almost there's a cockiness to it. Like I got this fucking guy. He ain't going anywhere. And then when I get up to him, the way I intentionally spun on the ball of my foot to stand in front of him, it's yeah. like, where do you think you're going, Mister? Right. There was an. I that I hope it's there. I saw it in the shit that we filmed when right. I watched it. Every one of my intentions, my intentions were. For my body language of just my feet alone, the way they were walking, to communicate everything of while he's crawling away saying, where the fuck do you think you're going? And then when I get there, just be like, uh-uh. Have sort of a uh-uh look. Like, right. You know, when I step, my, the, the, way I, the way I turn on my foot and step, it's, and he looks up at me. You're playing with your food. I'm playing with my food. Yeah. That's what it was my thought process when we were filming that. Yeah. There's none of that here. No. It's missing. And it, and it kind of robs attention of the scene that just seems to go on and on where it's supposed to be tension filled, but I feel it's just, just like uh, it's the just only just tense part. Which, the only tense part, which almost turns out to be bullshit, is that the ele- she finally gets to the elevator and it closes right when he sticks his hand in. It closes on his hand. Elevator would open up. Elevator would open right back up. I don't know, maybe these shitty '80s elevators. Yeah. But he pulls his hand out. The elevator closes, and she manages to get outside. Where she runs outside into you know the parking lot into the and first the car that will open. It, the back, the, the freight elevator, the back of it opens up, and she yeah. goes out that way. I, I've seen those before. Yeah. But she gets into the nearest you know parked car, gets inside, and just hides in there. Um, by this point, by this point, you know we've already seen Loomis back at the Myers house. Uh, he's telling Deputy Hunt, you know, the story of Michael Myers and everything. We see- they're, they're about to have a, they're about to have a friendly smoke because he's telling the story. Hunt hands him the lighter. You know, Loomis, he's trying to light it, but he's not. He's not really. He didn't want to smoke. He's not no. paying attention. He didn't give a shit. That's when the two teenagers come up and talk about their friend Ben Tramer, yeah. Laurie's crush from the first movie, who was wearing a stupid mask and hasn't come home from a party. And oh, he was seventeen. At which point they realize, oh fuck, you know, it's probably Ben Tramer. We just ra- they got ran over by a car. A cop car pulls up, says they have a break-in at the old school. They think it's him. So we pick up Loomis's story at the school where they see where Michael broke in, blood all over the window. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's I believe it's the actual schoolhouse from the first one, Lori's classroom. It looks like it. It looks very much like it. If it isn't, they did a good job making it look like it. Yeah. There's a, like, child's drawing picture that he drew because this is a high school and fucking, you know, with crayons. like. Yeah. Hold on, the colonel's calling. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm a real professional. My phone goes off in the middle of a podcast. Mine did too last time, so don't okay. worry. So, we see this drawing, and it's a drawing of a family, but the kitchen knife that he stole from the Elride house, the elder couple, is through one of the women. Yeah. But there's one too many. Obviously, we've already spoiled the sister angle. Yeah. And on the uh, blackboard is written in Michael's own blood, Sam Hain, or Samhain, proper right pronunciation. Right. This is your only connection to fucking the actual holiday of Halloween, yeah. which nothing would ever be elaborated on. And Lewis is like, is contemplating if Glenn Danzig is behind this, but it turns out he's not. Potentially. Yes. So, at this point, we've seen, th- as they walk past the schoolhouse windows, we see a car pull up in a familiar face right now. It's Nurse Marion from the first movie. She comes in. Asks to talk to Loomis privately and says that Loomis has been ordered to come back by the governor, I believe. Yeah. Yes, ordered back to Smith's Grove because they don't want this shit getting out. Because Loomis is now like a rogue cop running around, you know, letting teenagers get hit by fucking cop cars and smashed into exploding vans and shit. Like, shit's hitting the fan. They just want, you know, people to keep – they want a lid put on this thing. They'll let the cops figure it out. You know? Yeah. I guess that's their motivation. I mean, Loomis, they just want their people away from there. Right. So they don't want it to seem like 
you know, they keep fucking up. Nightmare, yeah. Yeah. And this is where the name Dr. Rogers says it's a good jeopardy. The Dr. Rogers that is in Halloween Returns. Mm-hmm. I'm, making, I'm making the emote of ramming something down someone's throat. Yeah. Dr. Rogers, who now takes over in Halloween Returns as the lead psychiatrist and, and the Loomis of the movie, despite the fact that that movie completely fucking retcons his reference out of existence. So now... We had, so now Halloween Returns would have had two characters from Halloween 2 that technically we're only meeting for the first time now. Yeah. Continuity! Who needs it? And so Mary has the, uh, gives the exposition about uh, Michael Sisson's revelation. She has a U.S. Marshal waiting there to take him, you know. The three he, of them are riding away back to Smith Grove. Upon a revelation, Donald Plunge pulls a gun on the Marshals, demanding to go back to the clinic is where Marion says that's where Lori was taken. Um, the marshal refuses. Uh, uh, Lewis fires a warning shot out the window, deafening probably all three of them because you're firing oh, yeah. a, a gun in a closed. That's, that's a fucking revolver, man. That shit's loud. Yeah. And so they went. They, they, you know that white noise sound? Like that's all they heard going to the by the place. Like, it's like Ar- it's like Archer when he fires the gun too loud in proximity. Yes. Like, mung, mung, to get his hearing back. Um, we come back to the clinic. Jimmy gets. He's a dick. Halloween returns. <laughs> Jimmy comes back out, it comes out of the hospital, gets into his car, tries to start into no avail, and obviously suffering from a concussion. Jimmy's head, his bell has been rung greatly. Yeah. Jimmy has went one too many rounds with the prize fighter yeah. and lost. Uh, he Passes collapses out. on the, the car horn, blaring it out throughout the echoing of the parking lot. Um, Lori yanks him off the horn so he doesn't go off anymore. Uh, at, this and, point, at this point, fucking, she knows that Michael's been alerted that yeah. someone's out there. Come and get me. <laughs> uh, Loomis, the marshal, and Marion arrive at the hospital and go into the hospital after Lori, at the same time, falls out of a car trying to approach them. And she does not scream until they go into the house and they, clo- back into the hospital and they close the doors. Well, she's just like, help. And then as soon as the door closes, help me. And so I'm like, what the fuck, man? It's like, what a, what a waste. And so Michael... This is a repeat of like leaving, going across from the Walls house to the Doyle house. Except much less interesting. Yes. It, this is going to be the most hated podcast in like all of Halloween. Because no, of, I mean. I, I don't want to say we're sitting here ragging on Dick Warlock, but I feel like that's a part of his performance that was neglected. And I, I think the one of the reasons why it does not work is because the camera was stationary in Halloween. And Castle approached the camera from yes. the background to the foreground. Here, we have a tracking shot backing up with Dick Warlock. And then we cut to a point of view of the shape approaching Lori. Yeah. And it's a completely different kind of psychological effect of having those shots like that. It's a different lead up. It's a different chase. So was before. Yeah. And maybe that was the intention not to simply repeat it. But how much so much stuff has been repeated thus far. I think Cundy could have gone to Rosenthal and been like, hey, this is how we did it. Unless he like, we're just so enamored with the, the technology. Like we can use the study cam for so much stuff. I'm like, I move my camera a lot of my stuff. So you know what? I, I can't really blame him for wanting to move the camera. Um. Marion hears uh, Lori the last. Everybody lets, hears. Yeah, the Marshal comes the, running back. Loomis comes running back. They lock the door after bringing Lori in. Loomis has got his gun out, and Michael so, walks through the glass front door. Which it, I, I think I, I think that's the best part of Loomis uh, Warlock's performance is right there. Props to props to Warlock, man, walking through a fucking glass door like that. And I know it wasn't him, real glass, but still, you know, how many? T- if you, you weren't strong enough to walk through it, you'd walk face first into it and go, "Ow, oh, fuck!" Yeah. And so he takes another five rounds, collapses. Another six, actually. No, because five, because he fired a warning shot into the... Yes. Unless this is the seven, shoot, the seven uh, round. Or uh, he reloaded. Or he reloaded. No, it, all right, I think it was five. 
I think it was five. I think it was five. Let's uh, say five. Let's say five. I'm like, uh, yeah, six is good. I was gonna say six is good. Thank you, fucking a. If you if that would have gone by, I would have been pissed if we did not make that reference. Um, the marshal is like curious. Like, well, well, I think he's dead. He's inspecting the body. He because he, he he don't believe none of this shit. He's no, just, he all he all he's, he's just like he's a quack doctor that I have, to, just, I have to deal with. He just wants to fucking do his job. He don't care. He's just like, okay, what do I what do I when they get out of the car? Like, what have I got to lose except my, my job? job. You know, yeah, he's just he's just going along with the shit. He doesn't really want to. Loomis is imploring him to keep away from the body. Which he does not listen. He does not heed this warning because he, he goes over to look over uh, Michael after the warnings. Marion runs out to go on the radio to, to report where Michael is. Uh, the marshal gets grabbed by Michael and his throat slashed. Throat slit. Another chase ensues throughout the hospital with Loomis, Loomis and Lori getting away. We're focused more on Loomis and Lori in this one. There really isn't much of Michael to be seen throughout this chase. We just, all, the most we really see is like. Them looking through a small window and him in the background. And then trying to put barriers in the way that is not going to do anything. No. So eventually they get into, I believe it's a surgical room where there's tons of just like gas canisters and everything. Yeah. Locked themselves in. Loomis gives Lori a spare gun. The, the, the Marshall's gun. The Marshall's gun that he took. Yeah. She won't take it. She doesn't want She's sitting in the corner. So Loomis hides behind the door, you know, like, like the fucking, like the SWAT team ready to strike. Yeah. Michael, you know, basically punches. It looks like he's. It looks like he's really pushy Jehovah's Witness the way he's punching at it, knocking yes. on it. Eventually, he you know and breaks the power through of Christ, it. Christ, he he busts through the door. Yes, he breaks through it. Loomis pops out to shoot him, but Loomis forgot to reload. Tick 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 tick. Michael stabs him right in the stomach. Loomis is down, and props to Donald Pleasance for taking that stunt at yeah. his age, over sixty years old. Yeah, falling down onto a bunch of fucking gas tanks. And Michael approaches. This is the one part where I feel like Dick Warlock's approach was good because it's like, I have her cornered. I'm slowly approaching. Yeah. You know, she says, Michael, stop. He stops, puts his scalpel down, tilts his head, and continues advancing. Yeah. Because here's the thing, though. It's like there's no need for a, a, a pace because he's got her. She's literally cornered yeah, there's no, in the he, corner. He's, yeah, at this point, he can toy with her. Mm-hmm. She picks up the revolver, takes two shots. He right in, right in his face. He covers his eyes. As he takes his hand down, you just see blood pouring out from the eye holes of his mask. Great image. It's a great image. And on uh, on Blu-ray, yeah, it's right on your T-shirt right there. Yeah. On Blu-ray, you could see he's got his eyes closed. So it's like, what did she really hit? Did the bullet – is it the fucking Kennedy magic bullet that went upwards into his mask holes and hit him right on his forehead? Well, he his did eyes go back shot out. and to the left. Yes. Back and, and to, to the, the left. left. Back and to the left. Back and to the left. Back <laughs> and to the left. Okay. <laughs> this is so, what you get. You get critic references on this show. So now he, Michael's blinded and he's, you know, fucking swinging wildly. All he needed was a Jose Canseco patch right there. If you have to take swings like that. And he didn't pay money for this. Nope. <laughs> Loomis starts turning on some of the, opening the valves on some of the gas tanks. I think he wanted to get high in the last few moments of his life. I don't think he was trying to stop For him. what he was going to do, I'd want to be high as a kite. <laughs> I'd want to be fucked up. So the... The, the hissing of the gas tanks letting out their compressed air is distracting him, thinking, oh, shit, she's over there. So Lori starts doing it, just to distract both of them back and forth, opening up gas tanks, pulling out valves, everything. So finally, Lu- Michael's distracted. He hears hissing coming from everywhere. He doesn't know where to go. Loomis tells Lori, get out, with whatever strength he's got left, get out now. She runs out. Yeah. At this point, like, the music, you know, the music, it's very quiet. It's just that subtle, like, ticking as, like, 
part of the rhythm from like it's sped up. It's very sped up. You know, there's a ten for the first time in the movie. There's real tension. Yes, a tension is built up. What's gonna happen here? Loomis looks at Michael, says, it's time, Michael. He takes out the fucking lighter Hunt gave him that he still had on him because he too distracted to light a cigarette. Right. Lights it. Boom! The operating room fucking explodes. And yes. you could see Jamie Lee Curtis was in – they built a, a uh, set for this part. And according to interviews by crew members, the explosion was definitely way bigger than they intended. Jamie Lee Curtis missed flying debris by, like, a fraction of a second. She hid behind, like, a water fountain, a metal water fountain that mm. was there. And debris just flew the fuck out at her. The, according to cast interviews, people heard the ground shake beneath them. They thought, it was like, it, like, but it's a great image. Yeah. It's and a great fucking image. This the explosion was appropriate. Yes. I have no problem with this. It's a great fucking image. You know, Laurie, she's sitting there, you know, like, starting to calm down, but... Behind the in the fire because we now we have a long shot of the door that's just exploded outward. The music starts again and there's a figure emerging completely engulfed in flames. She turns around, looks at it in disbelief, like a thing from the other world, of My, like the the, uh, the monster caught on fire. And, except Michael Myers just how at the last second managed to put on flameproof gear because he's significantly bulkier than before. Even wearing gloves, he's holding like the scalpel with like his thumb and index finger because yeah. he can't fully close his hands. Keeps advancing, but then collapses. Music cuts out. Bo- yeah. Like, boom. Collapses to the ground. He's done. You know, I feel like you need that. That's how you, you got to do something crazy like that to defeat your fucking unstoppable killer. Yes. I'm not, I wasn't, as much as I love Halloween, I wasn't fully satisfied with it ending on. Shot six times, falls out the window, disappears, and that's mm-hmm. it. And then he, and he goes to Arby, Arby's because, you know, fuck it, why not? I didn't know they were going to bring guns to this. I just wanted to... Scare this woman. <laughs> it just got too out of hand. And then we have... It ends with a bang. And Carpenter and Deborah Hill truly intended for Halloween 2. If Halloween 1... If they weren't going to let Halloween 1 be the last one, be a standalone thing, we're going to have the sequel, finish it for good. That's why I feel it makes such a good second part, because it was meant to be the final second part. Yeah. Everything's established in the first one. Everything we've talked about that's in the second one that we feel may not work... There's a lot of it I feel does just because like everything we needed was there established. There is a sense of finality here. Yes, there's a real sense of finality that Loomis and and I remember watching Halloween two for the first time, but going to Blockbuster every week and seeing all these other sequels with Donald Pleasance in them, saying and thinking to myself, wait a minute, how did he come back? I thought he got blown up. Yeah, and so the movie ends with the morning after the only Halloween movie to pick up that that have the very next morning. Yes, you mostly end on the night, the night of. And so we had Deputy Hunt, like, talking with an officer of, like, how many dead bodies? Like, ten for now. So far. And we have... Or uh, being wheeled out with the reporters by her side. Yeah. She gets into an ambulance. Very deep fog. It's great image. Oh, it's great image. Yeah, it is spectacular. The ambulance drives away into the fog, into the unknown. And in the TV edit, a figure sits up in the back of the ambulance with her, and it reveals to be Jimmy. Who survived. Yeah. Laurie says, Jimmy, we made it, but... In the theatrical cut, it's just her. It's just her sitting there, just looking, like staring into space, just thinking about what she's just been through. And all of a sudden, I, I, I don't know if it was the hospital radio or whatever, or if it was in her head, or if it was just a music cue for the health music cue. Mr. Like Sandman, it was, it was, it, like non-diegetic or diegetic, we're not too sure. Mr. Sandman starts playing again, and it cuts to what I believe is Laurie just thinking about the image of Michael burning. Right, and the movie comes to an end. Now. How do you think this holds up? 
Truthfully, I think it holds up really well, especially considering the fact that there's like a nostalgia out the ass for 80s things these days, especially compared to other sequels and especially compared to reboots and remakes and stuff. I do feel it is a good second chapter. I do feel it works very well as a final chapter. Mm -hmm. It doesn't live up to the original 100%. No. There were – I don't want to say too many cooks in the kitchen – there might have been an extra couple, and it was also being written by its creator who wasn't motivated to do it. No. So I do feel that there might have just been one or too many – because there was there was a little bit of a clashing of ideals with Rosenthal wanting to keep it very much like the original and Carpenter wanting to push a, the envelope a little more with the violence and everything. You know, it, it was a project that was born not out of necessity. It was born out of how can we it, – it was a project born out of how can we capitalize on the, the current craze we helped invent. But at the same time, I feel you got a very good product out of it. It does stand – as much as, as negative I've, I've been – As much as we've been knocking about it for our long it is recording, it's head and shoulders above majority of the slash movies of its ilk. Yes, and majority and – The sequel's in the franchise. I think it's the best sequel. Yeah. And – so you're not going to get the same level of scares or the same level of fear or tension as you do the original. I feel that this is more story driven. Right. And I do think even if the story isn't 100 percent, you know, most, the most ironed out perfect thing in the world. Right. And I do think if this is the, this is the closest thing that comes to the original because there's so many people on the first one that were on this one. Dean Cundy came back as DP. Yeah. I mean, we, we had Carpenter and Carpenter Deborah, and Deborah Hill. Hill producing. And so, or and when you're blondes like, are executive producing the, the cast members that were still alive, the most of them were in back in this. And so, I do enjoy it, and I do think I think it's, and I do think it's still worth your time. Yes, and especially if you love the first one, I think you owe it to yourself to see this one. If you love the first one and you feel I need an, I, I need more, I need an epilogue, I need a second part. If you agree with me on the fact that you see the ending of the first one, and you think this can't be the end. Right. I feel that this is a great second part. Gotcha. A great next part. And even a great end if you want to stop there and spare yourself. Yeah. Ah, they weren't all horrible. We, we found enough to love about the sequels. Yes. Um, but okay. if you wanted to j- – if you, if you think the concept of too many sequels is, is out of fucking control or whatever, mm-hmm. this is this makes even a good ending epilogue. Right. The only thing – drawback I feel is that that ending – I. I'm I'm a big fan of epilogues. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of when you have a, a great story like this. I want to see the aftermath. When you have a chaos like this that overtakes an entire fucking town and results in you know the, like, like the death of so many people, you want to see the aftermath. You want to see what the hell happens. To everybody, how do they move on? Mm-hmm. How do they do? They even do they move on? Do they even have lives after this? That's what I want to see, and I feel like that's that's missing a lot of times. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, with like H two O, with the whole the whole sequel reboot aspect, yeah, it picks up twenty years later. But no, 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 I want to see the direct aftermath. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm so sad that the, the comic series, uh, the first death of Laurie Strode, mm-hmm. never finished. Yeah, um, Stefan Hutchinson, the guy who runs HalloweenMovies.com, who's been a who's been a big player in keeping you know everything Halloween alive. Um, the, the comic series, I, I believe he was he was behind most of the comics, a, a very great deal of them, if not. And the one that I really wanted to see, there was this one in 2008. The, it was to be a three-part miniseries, The First Death of Laurie Strode, mm-hmm. which literally picks up on what happens to Laurie and bridges like the Halloween 2, H2O continuity gap, 
which sadly omits four, five, and six, which we, we will get into. Yeah. It's a billionth time we've said that. Yeah. But it's great because, like, they only released two two issues of it, and then something happened with the publisher. The publisher ran out of money or whatever or was scamming them or some, something had to do with money, and the third issue never got released, and it's been ten years already. Yeah. And the second issue ends on a fucking huge cliffhanger. Right. Of like Michael striking again. This time he's wearing a he's, this time he's wearing a clown costume similar to his childhood one, mm-hmm. and he's wearing the Emmett Kelly sad clown mask, which uh, Tommy Lee Wallace almost used for the original Michael Myers mask. Right. And it's just so and like Jimmy is allegedly killed and everything, but there's a lot of it of like, is it all in Lori's head? Is she because there's so many times when she sees Michael throughout this these two the two issues that were released. And she's thinking, is it in my head? Is he really dead, you know? Right. And so within the context of Halloween 2, our favorite scene, least favorite scene, before we do a wrap-up. Least favorite scene? I want to say it's a toss-up between Ben Tramer's death because it's meant to give us an obvious – it's meant to give the characters a red herring. Mm-hmm. A sense of okay, it's over, but it's really not, and I feel like it just came out of left field, and is just like the car that hit him. Yeah, came out of left field, and it's so fucking weird, and it's so like jarring, and it's so sudden, and so wait, 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 what? Yeah, it feels like something out of like a dumb loud action movie. Right, like all of a sudden now there's a rocket launcher in play. You know? Yeah, there's a little, there's a little shootout in the mall with two guys that have pistols, and now a third guy comes up with a rocket launcher, and boom, you know. <laughs> And the other one would have to be, I feel, that the the, the sister angle was executed weekly. Mm-hmm. That's the fair. whole idea that, you know, nobody knew that there was a third child who was already two years old in this small town and that this idea was fucking hidden away. That Loomis, after he was assigned fucking this thing, you know, because he watched over Michael for six – even according to the, t- the TV cut of the original Halloween, he watched over Michael Myers for six months. How the fuck could you determine to leave, you know, a, a, a third, a third child out of any reports that if Loomis is being assigned to this case this quick? Yeah, is I feel it doesn't work. The idea that you could take a, a, a third sibling who's already two years old and just make them fucking disappear like Houdini doesn't work to me. That's fair. Any favorite? Um. Hold on. <laughs> okay. Don't worry. I didn't fall asleep. Um, I, I, in the meantime, my least favorite is probably still the Ben Tramer death because I feel like the, the explosion is a little bit over the top. I think if he was just hit and just mashed between the two cars, I don't think I would have a problem with I think having that explosion cheapens the explosion at the end a little bit because we've already experienced the one explosion already. Like I get the idea that we got to make his body un- easily unidentifiable. Yeah, like have him go through the freaking so windshield sure. or something like that. Or have his like head be yeah, I mean, like, you could have forgotten well, the core factor. pull off the mask and see what color hair he has. And... Yeah. And so, and I feel like that is just there to deter Loomis for a while. And it just kind of, they had to put it in place of, as an obstacle for him. My favorite scene is probably, probably Bud and Karen's death. And because it was just so suspenseful. And I love also the scene where it's just, it's, it's Bud, Jimmy, and Janet just, just watching the news report and just like them just kind of 
relaxing and just like it's all done in one take and the blocking's nice and that. He's a goddamn moron. Yeah. And Bud in his colorful language. Yeah, and he's smoking a joint the entire goddamn time. Smoking a roach on literally on like a pair of tweezers, like yeah. scissor tweezers. Yeah, which I find hilarious. And I love the old ashtrays because of, of, of because it has these cigarette holders around it and yeah, everything. Yeah. For family smokers, I'm like, I, I've seen a million of those around my family's houses and everything. I don't think I could pick a particular scene and favorite. I think the thing that I love the most about it is how much it does from a visual and audio stand. Well, more visual than audio because this one was actually filmed in Dolby Stereo. So we went from mono to stereo, which is awesome. Right. Always happy with a greater, with a wider sound mix, even if I feel it wasn't used to its potential very much in here. Mm-hmm. I love how it visually connects to the original. As well as it does. How you can watch both of them back to back and it feels like you're watching two parts of the same story. Right. I really do love that. Even if elements don't click, Lori's wig, the complete difference in body shape of Dick Warlock and Nick Castle, uh, Donald Pleasance being just a little bit, a couple of years older. Yeah. That's... Th- those things your eyes eventually will adjust to and you right. will, you know, accept. Yeah. And final thoughts? Um. See Halloween too. There's many ways you could see it. It's still out on DVD. Uh, Shout Factory did an amazing Blu-ray and DVD restoration in yeah. 2012 with a ton of fucking supplemental features. With and it also came, I believe, I don't know if it was the Blu-ray version or if the DVD has well the infamous TV cut. Yes, because Halloween two on TV was heavily censored for its gore and its blood. But also the thing about the television cut, and you see this a lot on, I've seen it mostly on AMC, was that. It's it's considered it, it, it's they always call it the producer's cut, especially with Halloween because of the fucking Halloween six thing. This is more of a director's cut. It's actually closer to Rick Rosenthal's original vision. Right. It adds in most of those deleted scenes, but also trims out a lot of the gore, obviously for censorship reasons. The, the thing I'm not much of a fan about it though is that it completely changes the beginning, where it begins with the, the Halloween theme titles and everything, and then goes into the Mr. Sandman. No, yeah, I think it's better with Mr. Sandman. I think it's better the other way. Yes. I think it's better that way also. And just some of the fucking censorship choices are laughable. Right. And some of the changes, like, like uh, Mr. Garrett's death. When he gets into the storm house, you start hearing the, the chase music, bump, bum, bum. And then you see just an obligatory shot of Michael Myers walking towards the door, opening it, walking in. Yes. The music is playing. The scene continues to play out. Mr. Garrett, you know, looking in the closet where he heard the thing fall. Closes the door and gets hit with the hammer. It's like you just fucking spoiled what's going to happen. Right. It's like even though we did say that scene was a little too long and drawn out, we still didn't know when Michael was going to strike. That was still in very much in the spirit of the original. Yeah. You know he's there. You don't know where he's going to strike. The tension is built up. But it dragged out a little too far, and I feel like it didn't do enough to really communicate that tension. Right. And my favorite, the most hilarious – one of the most hilarious um, – Evidences of censorship since this is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps. Yes. Is the Mrs. Elrod scene when she finds the bloody knife. She reaches over, you know, sees the the blood on the table, turns around, looks at it, and then it cuts to literally a close-up still frame You could that you could tell was like videotape that's been paused. Yeah. Of Michael Myers' face, and he's got the most like <laughs> dirt face on. He looks like the, his eyes in the mask. He looks high. He looks like he just smoked a shitload of pot. And then she screams because allegedly he was standing right there, even though the background behind him is clearly not the indoor of a house. Yeah, it, 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 it makes me laugh out loud every time. <laughs> Unfortunately, the TV cut on that release is presented in four by three standard definition on an actual DVD, not a Blu-ray. So quality is, is greatly reduced. Yeah. 
And the movie was shot in 235, so you're losing a hell of a lot yeah. on the left and right. It was shot in 235 to keep with the original Halloween. Right. But I recommend that release overall. If you find the fucking 2011 Universal Blu-ray release, the 30, 30th anniversary, get it only if you, you want to see the Terror in the Isles documentary. I don't even consider it a Halloween 2 release. I consider it a Terror in the Isles release because that was the one Universal released where they removed in the opening credits Mustafa Akkad Presents. They had that in the title of every Halloween because he was the guy. He was the guy that kept Halloween alive, Mustafa Akkad. Right. Instead, Better force. Instead, they removed it with Universal and MCA Company presents in a completely different font from the rest of the credits. That's stupid. There was an outrage over it. Even Malik Akkad, his son, said, "This is disgusting. This is disgraceful." And allegedly, they offered you know replacement discs. If you give them your, your if you give Universal your address and daytime phone number, like, like how do I do it? Do I just fucking write it on a post-it and mail it to them? Yeah. And they're supposed to, no, no, give me a goddamn form. Give me something. Let me, give, let me fucking send you a, my proof of purchase. Something like this. So it didn't matter because a year later, Shout Factory came out with something even better. Right. And Shout Factory, even their five their 5.1 DTS HD MA mix is, Master Audio mix is fucking awesome. Uncompressed as opposed to the... 5.1 process surround sound mix that the Universal release got, which is lossy. Mm-hmm. So, then there is the uh, you may question like what is there a difference? There is a big difference between lossy and lossless. Don't worry. Yep. Uh, and even even according to Blu-ray.com, there was a difference visually that Shout Factory even managed to take. That's the one positive they said was that the movie Universal's release looked amazing, but Shout Factory managed to even get a little bit more out of it. And the great thing about Shout Factory's release is that it's available in both DVD and Blu-ray. Right. So. I mean, I recommend people get one of the, the te- either 10-disc or, if you're willing to pay that much, the the, out of, the long out-of-print 15-disc box set that I have, thank God. That we both have. That we both have. But if you got to settle with if – you, if you don't want the whole series or if you've been collecting them one by one, Shout Factory's release is how to do it. Right. And so my final thoughts is as much as I've been like – I feel like I've been so negative here, I still enjoy this movie. I think it's yes. just with, within the critical – Putting this in a, in a critical eye for this review, I just started realizing that the, I started seeing more of the – Issues that become more prominent. However, I'm still going to put this on around Halloween. I'm still going to watch it because it is a nice part, too. And it's like both of my 90 minutes. I can spend a night and I can put one and two on and it'd be fine and watch this this complete story of how it was initially intended. I'll put it this way. If I watch one and I don't immediately have to go to bed and get ready for work the next day, I will put on two. Every I, time. I feel an urge to always watch two after I've watched one. Nice. All right, then. And I know you don't have any social media, so you're not going to have any social media. Not a media. damn thing. Don't bother me. Yeah. You, you can talk to me here if you want. If you want to curse me out, go right ahead. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I, I will get, uh, I will get uh, uh, people. This is good. I, I do think that this will stir up a little bit of controversy, but fuck it. Let's talk about this thing. Yeah. I mean, Dick Warlock is beloved, and as he should be. Yeah. He, you know, he <clears throat> his stunt work brought a lot, has brought a lot to the Halloween franchise within two and three. So he deserves to be celebrated, but I do feel he... Did not live up to Nick Castle. Yeah. And so if you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at TimothyRooney2, my Instagram at TRooney1012. Uh, listen to this podcast, obviously, on iTunes. Leave us a five-star uh, review and a written review, and it helps to get the word out there. Uh, you can follow my this show on the Facebook page at Anything Goes Podcast. You can also listen to my other podcast, Please Rewind, as part of the RF4RM podcast network. All the shows include Real Fans for Real Movies, uh, Disorder, Great guys. Doing, uh, you guys are doing God's work over there. Thank you. Um, uh, taking the bullet and, and so on and so forth. And if you like, and if you 
like this show, you're gonna you'll definitely like that. And I'm pretty sure a lot of listeners who have, are listening to are already fans of the Real Fans Podcast Network. So I'm pretty sure um, I'm preaching to the crowd here. But um, stay tuned. We have more Halloween coming up in next month. And we'll see you next month for Halloween three. The the, the often debated. Uh, often debated, sometimes hated, Halloween 3. Oh, yeah. And it'll be, since it's, it's, it's coming out in March, it'll be our St. Paddy's Day episode, so look forward to that. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo! <laughs>